Hello and welcome to yet another week of Indie Game Podcast. My name is Devin and I'm here with Tom. Jenny. And James. Yeah, Jenny's back this week. Hi, I've returned. Thank you so much. We say we missed you. Uh, last week we had a hobo named Chris. Uh, oh, <laughs> he yeah. wandered in and oh. you know, we had him you know, talk about mythology. I'm so easily replaced with a hobo? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The seat was like there and we needed to fill it, you know. Wow. Oh, we didn't okay. want to tell him to go away. Yeah. I mean, he is an old friend of the show. Oh. Well, an old friend I mean, of us. Yeah. I mean, the yeah, show, he's an old friend. Us. He's one of our first followers. So, hi, Chris. Sup, buddy. Uh, Sorry, bud, bud. Anyway, um, that being said, John Adam will be returning this week. Yay! Um, hopefully you watched your movie. Over I the past did. I did watch it. Do you remember what it was, Devin? I do. It was Euro Trip. It was Euro Trip. Cool. We'll get into that in a while. Uh, I'll tell you now. We don't have any real news to go over this week, so it's just no, just box office stuff. But none of it's surprising. Yeah. If you want to know about box office, there's lists online. Uh, Zombieland 2 got a new trailer, which I'm super pumped for because I love the cast. They're like three of my favorite actors. Yeah, I just feel like it's been it's been so long. Like ten years. Yeah. They're it's... they're already planning to do a number three in 2029. Oh what? <laughs> oh, okay. Whoa, okay, yeah. what? <laughs> the the cast kind of were like, we would love to do a, a sequel in 2029. That's okay. You know what? If they actually do it, I'll, always give, I'll give them, I'll give them yeah. respect for that, because yeah. that's funny. Yeah. I, love, I love the first one, so that could be fun. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, anyone have any other news this week? It was pretty... The week after Comic-Con is usually pretty dead. So. Yeah. yeah. Nothing new. The only thing I, I will say is I'm just... I, it's not surprising. I'm, I guess I'm more disappointed that Lion King is doing so well. It's not surprising. It's it with, really isn't. It's with a whole new generation that either hasn't seen the first one or they've seen the first one more recently and they're excited for it to be, you know, reanimated in the, the CG style. But realistic with no anim- with no emotion whatsoever. Yeah. Or yeah. they call it live action. There's nothing actually living on the screen. Correct. It's like if they were to do a cat smoke. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we missed that last week. I literally saw fun. a tweet. That said something like, uh, Lion King 2019, we want more emotive cats. Cat trailer drops. No, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, please stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding our reservations for cats. It could be a, a decent movie. It's just, it it looks weird. I never yeah. watched the original. I like that. Like, like that, the play? It's a, it's a musical. Yeah. So it's I like, like that play, so I'll give it a shot. Uh, it just seemed a little too weird, people. To be fair, I say this when one of my favorite cartoons growing up was Thundercats. Thundercats. Where, oh. where I'm not sure where my priorities fall. But, but yeah, I'll give it a shot. Um, as far as Zombieland, awesome. I'm all in. I should watch the first one. You, you really should, should watch the, the first, first one. The first Zombieland is phenomenal. I hear great things about it. Oh, the Twinkies. Because <laughs> the biggest thing is because I hear it just delves into a lot of common sense. So anyway, moving on. I'm guessing someone here saw Lion King. Yeah, yeah, Tom and I did. Okay, go on. Uh, how was it? Well, Tom. Oh boy. <laughs> no one gets to see the looks that me and Devin just saw as between them. So I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna start with um, Lion King, the original classic. Yes. Classic tale, love it. Hundred percent. The the new one, boring. Can confirm. 
I don't know if it's just because, you know, we've both seen it already and it's not anything new to us, or it was just the fact that, like James said, there's no emotion. And when I first heard the reviews for No Emotion, I'm like, they're lions. Like, they're not going to have human emotion, but no. They ruined the best song in the movie. Okay, we're going to get to that. I watched this movie, and I have cats. I'm a crazy cat lady. And And confirm. Thank you. And so, watching these lions on screen, there was no emotion happening. The whole scene with, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Lion King, Mufasa dies. What? (laughs) Oh my god. Simba talking to Scar, his face looked the exact same throughout the entire movie, even though his voice was very emotive. But being a cat mom, you can get so much emotion from eye movements, pupil dilation, whiskers, ears, especially ears. Yeah, ears are the big thing. So they try to keep the face what a cat's face is and didn't compensate with the rest of the stuff that a cat uses? Yeah. Ooh. Like, I can tell what my cats are thinking based on, like, their eye movement to me, like, their, you know, their my body one, language. Their body their, language. Like, yeah. Big thing for me was always eyes, ears, and tail. Yes, yes. Those, those three are, like, 75% of your emotions. Yes, and then if you ever have ever, if you've ever played with a cat with any kind of like a string or any kind of like instrument that requires, you know, human interaction, you can see their pupils dilate and their whiskers also come forward because they are in that mode of hunting. And Lion King didn't have any of that. Nope. So they Just took out the emotion. Skipped it. They took out the face emotion, which to be fair is very accurate to cats. Cats do not have a lot of face. They don't have like eyebrow emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Or even I even say cheeks. Like well, it's, it depends. Like whiskers and the front, but, but like, they didn't yeah. compensate with any of the stuff that cats right. actually emote. With. Yes. If you remember from the cartoon version, they used all of those assets to emote what was going on, especially with the ears. Yes, I seem, to, I seem to remember at least one part part where Simba's about to pounce on something and he's rolling his back yep. shoulders. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh no, that thing's screwed. And yep. the thing is, is like the animators actually studied the animals and what they looked like. They brought them into the studio. The mouse? The field mouse running around? That was cool. Amazing. Yeah. But that was, like, where all of the budget went. Yep. It was like, okay, well, we've animated this uh, African field mouse, and it's doing its thing. Okay, we're done with the budget. Guys, just do the bare minimum you can to make this thing look halfway decent, and uh, we'll put the rest into voice acting. That'll save us, right? Okay, let me, let me talk about the voice acting real quick. <laughs> Mufasa was still Mufasa, right? Okay, here's the thing. James Earl mm. Jones... Phoned it in. Finished. Wow. Listen, that's a... listen, we love him. He's a fantastic man. He's old. He's 88 years old. He's old. And the one thing I wish they would have done, because his lines did not deliver that impact they did the first time. Like, Simba. It was more like, Scar runs over to him, says... Simba's in the gorge, he's freaking out, and he goes, Simba, you know that kid I have? That's what it sounded like. And let me <laughs> Wait, tell you, kid. <laughs> let me tell you, if they would have just transposed his lines from the animated version, the original, into the live action, live action quotes, it would have been perfect. But no, they just had him redo them, and I'm pretty sure that he was like, I have to do this movie again. Hey, I have already done this movie. You know, on the plus side, though, he's getting a second paycheck for the exact same role. Oh my god. It it just didn't have that deep emotional feeling that it did the first time, and I was really sad by that. I mean, just just take the first lines, 
in the cartoon, put them in the live action. It's not like you don't have the rights. You can do whatever you want. And Disney is known for recycling stuff. Exactly. Just use these lines over again. Everyone else, everyone else, love them. Scar, Young Simba, Old Simba, Nala, Beyonce. Who Queen. was Scar out of curiosity? I legitimately can't remember. So, while you're you're checking that out, let's just say my favorite song in the entire movie is Be Prepared. Same. Oh, Jeremy Irons. And then uh, Jim Cummings do a yes. phenomenal job on that one. It was spoken in this movie. It was, it was basically it was it was speak song. He there was yep. like no actual singing. He was there's no case speaking it to the beat of the song. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I found who plays Scar, but I cannot pronounce this correctly. She would tell you. She would, yeah. She would tell The moment you said you can't pronounce it, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. That is not a bad choice. It's he's not a bad choice. He's a very good choice. But he was a he's great choice, but. Like like Tom said, my favorite song was also Be Prepared, and it was so... It was more of, like, a song, an actual song and dance in the cartoon version, and like Tom said, it was more of a speech. Yeah. It didn't yeah. have the same, like, upbeat, I'll go with, upbeat, you know, The mesmerizing song. quality. Yeah, and they weren't, like, playing the bones or the hyenas, which, you know, it's a cartoon, but they were just, like, nothing. So, Be Prepared was very much in the original, a like call to arms mm-hmm. it was this mm-hmm. like the idea is it's like he's essentially raising this army mm-hmm. and here he's got he's like oh just stick with me and you'll never go hungry again yeah it's lacking a cadence it really lacked it was very lackluster it felt flat from yeah. everything i'm hearing it just <laughs> as stupidly artistic as this sounds sounds soulless it really was. Yeah. It's a good word for it. They put, like Tom said, they put all of the money into the research and the animating and everything like that, the backgrounds and everything like that, and then everything else is just dead. I feel like they almost, like, shot a documentary and then, like, yeah. oh, right, it's supposed to be a musical. So and it's supposed to have a story. I actually had a better idea for this film. They wanted to redo it. <laughs> <laughs> they take all their Disney nature and uh, life people, and they go, <laughs> and they go. All right, everybody, Serengeti, go, <laughs> and they send them out there. And you have one. They go. All right, you're the principal guys. You find a pride of lions and you film them. And we're gonna give you six months to do it and go. Everybody else, find some other animal and do it. And we're gonna homework bound this. And, no, no and we're going to meerkat manor this. Yes, we're going to, and then you're going to see that, and you're going to do all these things, and then you're going to have James Earl Jones doing the narration over the yep, top of all yep. of this as Mufasa, and he's like, son, you see what every, you see what the sun is touching? One day this will all be yours. All of that? That's right, son. Wait, is it just, is it just James Earl Jones doing both voices? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All of this? Yes, son. All of this, father? Yes, son. All the people in the recording booths is like, is he okay? He's 88 years old, okay? He's getting a little senile. Let him work. Let him work. Don't disturb the master. I don't know. He signed the contract. We're only paying I am Darth Vader. I am your father. Okay. So the, the one redeeming quality of this film. Other than the beautiful animation. Other than the animation. I will admit that. Was 
Timon and Pumbaa. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I've heard. In, in the cartoon, I absolutely hated them. I thought they were annoying and terrible. And Seth Rogen and Eric Andre brought it home. Dude. Except for Seth Rogen cannot sing Save His well, Life. Not a chance. Yeah. Oh, he's he's open about that, too. Yeah, but... Yeah, uh, yeah he does try to hide it. James Oliver? James no? Oliver does a good job playing Zazie. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was curious, because that's, like, the one that I'm, like... I have he a lot did, of respect for James Oliver. He did quite well. Timon and Pumbaa, though, I mean, they really... John Oliver. They really yeah, they sold it. Yeah. They sold their their things, and I did love the way they animated Timon especially, with all these little meerkat, like, up-down, you know, hiding kind of things, and I really enjoyed that. But there's there's a bittersweet moment, not bittersweet, but they, like, they take out something and replace it with something equally as good. So if you remember in the original film, they had the Luau song. Best song. But they took it out. No. And I understand it. Replaced it with Timon singing the few the first like line from Be Our Guest. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow, that's an interesting uh, alright, well. He just he, he's trying to distract the hyenas and he goes, Be our guest, and then the hyenas run out. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to check that scene right. alone because that sounds kind of funny. <laughs> that because the luau was definitely one of the high points of right, the Right, exactly. Day. But that was really funny to me. The um, Oh, the fact that they did yeah. uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight and it wasn't night. Yeah, they didn't do it at night. Wait, what? Yeah, it was in the middle of the day. Tonight. It was in the middle of the day. Wait, okay. At least when they did it before, it started like at daytime and then it went into and ended at night where we stopped seeing them together where we stopped seeing Nala and Simba together and it cuts away to other to Timon and Pumbaa Timon singing at the end of the song the end of the song and everything and it's nighttime and you're like okay makes sense because the other time it's like a montage of them kind of getting to know each other better or whatever leading up to (laughs) (laughs) anyways um so, in other words, recommend, don't recommend, wait, wait for DVD. Wait for the DVD. At most? Wait for Netflix. Oh, uh, wait for cable. In yeah. fact, you could probably wait for network television. Yeah. I will still probably see it in the theater, just to see, like, the huge screen and mm-hmm. the animation and all that. Mm-hmm. Just because of what, I go, what I'm interested in, the, the mm-hmm. oh, yeah. design, but that... Honestly, it's about exactly what I was expecting. I mean, if not, you could rent a projector screen, Devin, and it'd be kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I also have a 70-inch, 65-inch TV over there. I'm just saying, you could just wait for that. Yeah. It's also free if I see it in the theater. Fair. Oh, then he's paying his time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, trust me, it's time you'll never get back. So anyway, let's move on from Lion King. So, yeah. So, uh, Jenny, any other movies you watched this week? Or this past couple weeks, other than Eurotrip? Other than Eurotrip. That you haven't seen before. Yeah. I'm putting that caveat, because my list is going to be a lot longer. Yeah. I was searching for... I really wanted to watch the Mr. Rogers documentary. But everywhere you had to... My neighbor. Yeah, everywhere you had to pay for it. And I was like, I don't feel like doing that. (laughs) So I'll I'll watch that at some point. I really wanted to watch it. I don't think... I actually sat down and watched anything. I'm I'm keeping up with Handmaid's Tale, of course, but I don't think I watched any other movies. All right. So I got nothing. Nothing else, Tom. I saw Lion King. 
and watching it was my biggest regret. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that and I've been watching a lot of um, other things on the Netflix, mostly TV shows. I'm trying to finally finish House of Cards. And I just finished rewatching Turn Washington Spies because I absolutely love that show. And for some reason, can't get enough of watching Jamie Bell be in continental America. I love Jamie Bell. Yeah. He has a movie either out or coming out called Skin. Yes, it's it out. I want to see amazing. that. Yeah, it I has, want it to come out to a theater nearby. It has and him and the guy it. who plays um, Brewster in the show on Turn Washington Spies. Uh, he's also in that movie. I am so curious for a movie about the yeah about the neo Nazi that has a change of heart. Yeah, and now is trying to get all of his tattoos removed. Yep, and he yeah. is, it looks really, really, really good, and I love Jamie Bell. And his mind is changed by a black man. Yep, yep. Based on a short story of very similar yeah uh, storyline, but yeah, it looks fantastic, and I want to see it. And I'm a big supporter of pretty much everything I can see with Jamie Bell in it. So. Yeah. I love Jamie Bell. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. James? Well, one of the ones I tried to watch was Ghosts of Mars. Oh, oh so God. sorry. John Carpenter. I got 10 minutes in. Yeah. I got 10 minutes in, and I was like, nope. I watched that when I was a kid at 6 a.m. in the morning on HBO. I'll be honest, usually getting 10 minutes in and giving up, I'm like, that's kind of a. I'd at least give the movie a shot, but Ghost of Mars. Yeah, I yeah, tried. It's pretty rough. It doesn't get any better. No. <laughs> Young Jason yeah. Statham, and that's about yeah. the only up point, and even then. Yeah. Ice Cube. It was... Ooh. What's this movie about? <laughs> <laughs> Ghosts of Mars is a 2001 sci-fi action horror film directed by John Carpenter. Okay. It's what killed his career for a little while. He's the guy who made like, the thing. Halloween. Okay. Yeah. Halloween, The Thing. Yeah. Okay. Which is probably going to come up later. It's uh, 2176. Mars has been terraformed. And in a flashback from the sole survivor, you get to watch as what should have been a simple prison transfer, prisoner transfer, turns into a squad of a half dozen people fighting against ghosts that possess the people of Mars to kill everyone, I think, was what it boils down to. I've seen the movie, and I'll be honest, about halfway through, I just kind of checked out was on my phone. So Yeah, the, so uh, the, it, the ghosts yeah. possess the people and have them hurt themselves to become sort of Mad Max punk gothic things, and then yeah, they're also invincible. They essentially become Reavers. Yeah, yeah. That's not a, uh, if you if you if you if you don't know, those are from Serenity and Firefly. Yeah. And basically just crazy people. Yeah, it's okay. that are into self mutilation and the mutilation of everybody else. Cutting on your own flesh, where does that get fun? They, they the best, the best part. They like it. The best part of here is it says uh, it's a prison transfer to re- they relocate notorious criminal James Desolation Williams, who's Ice Cube. Yep. Which is no. who, was a, who was originally going to be Statham <laughs> until Ice Cube signed on because he was a bigger name at the time. Yep. Ice Cube was bigger than Jason Statham. Two thousand one. At that time, yeah. point, yeah. This is before like. To be fair, like transporter. This is this is right after this is right after Anaconda. So I'm remember, not sure how he was still the bigger name. Remember, Ice Cube was also coming from NWA. By the way, only it, it, it's supposed to be the relocation thing. 
only to discover that half the colony has been possessed by the spirits of the alien race that used to inhabit Mars, which were released via scientific excavation. If it sounds similar to Doom, you get a pat on the head, except Doom was better. Yes. And okay, was so, still not a good movie. So they're like, should we do an alien movie? Or should we do a ghost movie? And the guy goes, yes! <laughs> oh, oh, that <laughs> yes, you are not wrong. <laughs> How can we make horror horror make more horrible? Yes. Okay. okay. I will say Doom has one amazing sequence, and that's the first person shooter thing. I mean, that's it is fair. a gimmicky piece of crap, but to be fair, amazing. Carl Urban and Dwayne Johnson Dude. are both amazing. Carl Urban's amazing in everything. Yeah, and so, and, so, and, so, and so is Johnson. And The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, whatever he's in, I'm in. He sells it. Yeah. So it's like those two are worth the price of admission for Doom. Yeah. I no matter what, The Rock is cooking. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's I tried. I got ten minutes in, and then I jumped like half an hour at a time, and I still was like, "No, it doesn't get any better. No, no, it just gets worse and worse." Yeah, I noped out of there real hard, and again, that's the one that actually killed uh, Carpenter's career for a while. He didn't make another. He didn't have a hand in another movie for four years, and didn't direct one for another ten. He he took quite a hit for that. Did you watch anything else? I did. I watched. I watched two other movies. One which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Okay. And another, hilariously enough, they're both very similar. Who here, except for Devin, since I've talked to him about it, has heard of Harbinger Down? Have you two heard of Harbinger Down? Yes. Nope. Nope. You have. Tom, what do you know of it? Not a whole lot. Okay. Harbinger Down is what you is what you get when you try to do the thing crossed with Alien on a, a derelict crab crab boat in the middle of the Alaskan Sea. Sounds about right. Okay. And mm. try to sell it based on the special effects and animatronics, and yet still do crap with that. Okay. There's a movie I've seen that's very similar. Uh, it's not Harbinger Down. The Thing Down Below? No. Um, so there's a couple. One is called Dark Below, directed by Doug Schultz. Uh... I don't want to say too much negative about this because I worked with Doug Schultz and conflict of interest, but you know, it's a decent little film. The other one that's called Nova Zembla. That it, sounds familiar. It's them trying to go up up north of uh, Russia, kind of thing, and go around. Yeah, okay. Okay. And they're like ice cutting, and they get frozen. That sounds kind of funny, actually. It's, it's a it's a really good movie. But anyway, check, check out Nova Zembla. So this one. It was it was created because when the 2011 prequel thing came out, there was a lot of conf- controversy because all the animatronics that were done by uh, Amalgamated Dynamics, I want to say, is the name of the company. Yeah, some, some they got they got CG over completely. They weren't happy about that. A lot of the viewers of the movie also weren't happy about that because one of the biggest selling points for the original thing movie was the fact that it was all animatronics and still holds up to this day. Mm. 100%, and I will fight anybody who says otherwise. <laughs> so they actually kickstarted a budget for their own movie with all practical effects. Okay. They got the, they got enough money, around 350000 and then the producer chucked in some more. I'm going to hazard somewhere around 100000 more. So you got a little less than uh, half a mil, I think. And they came up with this. Uh, I'm guessing a lot, a decent chunk of that money went to getting Lance Hendrickson, who played Bishop in the in the Aliens movie. 
And he's one of the only saving graces acting-wise. Wow. Because it is not a good story. With Lance Hendrickson's your, your big name in the movie? Yes. No, it's not that great of a movie. He's the only big name in I the mean, movie. He's a good actor, but if that's your big name, there's not much else in the movie. Nope. No. Now, for what you see of the animatronics and the, the practical effects, they look terrifying. Because the actual monster in this, it starts off like shot for shot from Carpenter's thing, where... It's a spacecraft crashing into the Earth, except this. It's a it's a Russian moon lander crashing on July 25th, 1982. The day Carpenter's thing was released. Okay, I was like, that's a really specific day. Or day. Yeah, it's crashing. The monster are cosmic irradiated tardigrades. Oh boy. Oh, the little water bears. Water bears? Oh, yeah. they're so cute. No, no, unless you get close, and then they are terrifying. There are, there are like some of them are shoddy because as much as money as they did get, they still fell below what the budget they probably had for the thing. I will say though, there's a couple shots that are incredibly horrifying. Yeah, like there's a couple things where if they had actually done something with it, it would have been proper horror. And the worst part is. One of the big things people remember from the thing is the fact that it's so much of the horror was in the daylight. You saw everything. All of this is in like the the ship's hull with the power cut. So you've got mm-hmm. flashlights and this sort of stuff, and it's very uh, they've got jittery cam, and it looks like they're trying to hide the animatronics. They do that to hide animatronics to hide the fact that they don't have certain effects. It's a very common thing to all of a sudden be nighttime when it's time for like the alien to show up. To be fair, the time when it showed up, it made sense. The problem is the the bigger problem for me wasn't that they weren't showing it; it's the fact that when they were, there was way, way too much jittery cam, and like not even like yeah. shaking like it's a handheld. You know, it was jittery, and it's like some of the stuff you're showing looks amazing, guys. What's up with this? There was there was like a good couple shots where I can think of a good half dozen where I was in genuinely terrified by what I was seeing, because it's like, oh my god. And I knew that all that I was seeing was actually practical, so there was someone that had, was reacting to what was on screen. And it's like, it's terrifying. So it, it's honestly kind of sad that it wasn't good. So yeah, it's like, I... It, it shows up like halfway through, honestly. Jump, to, jump through it. Jump past that halfway point to where the first like action pops up, and then jump to the various action scenes because they're actually really terrifying. They just didn't. There wasn't a good story to build up like the thing or things like it. And honestly, the only character I cared about was Hendrickson's. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Any other movies? I did. You're one, off. one more, but I'm waiting for our topic because that. it's going to fit. All right. I have eight. Now, Jesus. I should probably go through them fast. I'm going to explain one thing first. Whenever I say TCFF, I mean Traverse City Film Festival. A whole lot of these are movies that were either from previous festivals I didn't see, the current festival that I am not getting to see next week. I'm leaving tomorrow to go to the film festival. We'll get more into that in our topic. Um, but most of these, uh, most of these are film festival-based movies. So, the first one I watched is Sword of Trust. 
It is a TCFF 2019 film, uh, one that just couldn't fit in my schedule, uh, starring Mark Marin, John Bass, Michaela Watkins, and Jillian Bell. Mark Marin. <laughs> Mark Marin plays a not quite. Mark Marin plays a pawnbroker. John Bass is his like coworker, his assistant that he hired. And Michaela Watkins and Jillian Bell come in with a sword that is supposedly the prover item that proves that the South won the Civil War. Oh, okay. Now, oh, it was fun. It was it was one of those character based, and uh, it was a really fun little indie film. But to me, the best part is they do end up contacting like that southern like conspiracy theorist type. My cat keeps trying to eat my pizza. <laughs> uh, the conspiracy theorists that think that the South won the Civil War and all that, they end up getting in a back of a like moving truck and going to Tennessee to meet with the boss. And the scene between the four of them is absolutely amazing. It is just this point in the movie where you learn their characters. But it's really like feel-good kind of... You know, laid back type movie. So that's sort of trust. Uh, Traverse City Film Festival, 2019 film. Uh, the next one I watched is I played Netflix Roulette, not film festival at all. It's called See You Yesterday. It's like The Hate You Give mixed with Back to the Future. Okay. Yeah. The, if you've seen The Hate You Give, black guy dies. The sister's like, I have a time time machine that I randomly that I've been making, and I'm gonna go back in time and try to save my brother, and it just kind of spirals out of control. That's about oh, it. Oh, Butterfly Effect. Yeah, it, it's a pretty good movie, but yeah, not my favorite of you. Not my favorite that I've watched. I prefer The Hate You Give and Back to the Future more than this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next one is called The Great Hack. Uh, it is a 2019 film, or Trevor City Film Festival film. A documentary about, the, about Cambridge Analytica and the hack on Facebook and all that. Oh, right, 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 right. right. And it was fascinating for like the first 10 minutes. And then I feel like they lost the plot. Mm-hmm. They started talking to like a ki- or a person that just wanted to talk about themselves and not so much the the scandal and what mm-hmm. happened. It's more about the people involved instead of what actually happened. So it was fine. It, it kind of is one of those one of those uh, documentaries. I'm happy I didn't bother watching it at festival. Gotcha. I would have been bored. Um, the next one is actually a 2018 film festival movie that I didn't get around to seeing called Never Going Back. Uh, it's about two best friends that decide, or two female best friends that decide, screw our job, we're going on a break to, a, to Talladega Beach. And uh, once they do that, all their, their lives just start falling apart. Uh, they get broken into, rent, or their house gets broken into, their TV gets stolen. But because they're the ones making the noise, the cops check the house, they find drugs, they go to jail, they get fired, and it just kind of is like a spiral down, but the two of them just don't care. They're like, we're fine, let's just do what we want. And it was fun, it was a fun little character study, but in the end, eh, nothing. I'm not all that sad that I missed it last year. Uh, the next one is, I'm not sure what year, but it was another film festival movie. It was The Death of Stalin. Um... Written by the same people who did In the Loop a few years ago. Isn't that Jason Isaacs? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious about that one because it's it's a comedy, isn't it? Yep. Uh, and and I, I saw the Stalin thing, which is why I enjoy Russian uh, Russian history. So I, 
Moscow, 1953. <laughs> but everyone is English. Don't ask. Don't ask questions. After being in power for nearly 30 years, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin takes ill and quickly dies. Now the members of his small council of ministers scramble for power. This is on my to-watch list. This is Steve Buscemi, Simon Russell ba Beale, Jeffrey Tambor, Andrea Riseborough, Olga Kirilenko from, like, Quantum of Solace, uh, Patty Considine from World's End, uh, and just this laundry list of recognizable and famous British actors. That's if Jason Isaacs, he's on the cover. Jason Isaacs is the military leader. Yeah, because I, I saw him on the cover with a gun. Yeah, he's a military leader. Yeah. But it's basically Stalin's small council. They're like, oh, he's dead. And they all start backstabbing each other. And to be like, leader. And they all are like, who's going to be leader? Who's going to be leader? And like, trying to hide that he's dead. Secret Stalin. Yeah. And all this. And like, stab, 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 stab it. And like, who takes over his um, funeral? And then like, because the funeral goes over well, or it goes over bad, who's going to be, is it going to be good or bad for other people? And it's like this big political throat, like political comedy. And it's just, absolutely hilarious and one of my one of my like one of those movies that I wish I saw in the festival because it would have been absolutely hilarious for the audience next one uh, I will do this later because it's the only big movie that came out this week so cool next one movie from a few years ago called Cold in July starring Anthony Michael Hall or Anthony Michael right? Anthony Michael Hall okay. yeah Dexter yeah but um, he plays a father who one night hears someone breaking into his house. Anth or Michael C. Hall. There it is. There we go. Okay, yeah. Anthony Michael Hall is the dude from the A's. Hmm. Michael C. Hall, the guy who plays Dexter, as well as Sam Shepard and Don Johnson. So Michael C. Hall plays a, a father. And this, I will say, is my favorite movie I watched this week by far. I gave it a 9 out of 10. I love this film. But Michael C. Hall plays a father. He wakes up one night, realizing that someone broke into his house. He gets the gun that's stowed in his, his uh, cabinet, goes over, and finds this guy standing in his room, or standing in his like, living room. The uh, clock strikes. He jumps and accidentally shoots the guy in the head, killing the robber. The cops then tell him this guy's name is Freddie Russell. He's like, oh, okay. And he's like, this is a Watson felon. You're good. We know about this guy. We'll deal with it all. And they start dealing with the, the funeral and all that while he's trying to, like, cope with the fact that he just shot somebody. Wow. And they do a really good job of dealing with that. Now, the next thing is that they blast out that this guy's name was Freddie Russell. And, the guy, and Freddie Russell's father shows up. <sighs> stalking Michael C. Hall's family and threatening, you took my son, I'm going to take your son. Oof. Then, Michael C. Hall realize, or finds a wanted poster for Freddie Ru or Frederick Russell, nothing like the guy he shot. Oh, no. So now, he is trying to find the father who's stalking him to tell him, I did not shoot you, shoot your son. They then go, so my son's still alive. And they start looking after the son while enlisting um, while enlisting Don Johnson as he's a 
kind of Texas Ranger episode. This sounds like a mess of God. This is one of the best like revenge thrillers I've seen in years come out of America. You have to go to like Korea to see this kind of oh we've heard tense action, and they end up finding the son and finding out that he's involved in like a, a snuff porn ring where they are forcing girls to do stuff and then murdering them. And the and Russell's or uh, Frederick Russell's father goes, "All right, I am going to murder my son." <laughs> and the three of them now completely switch, but, going after the son. But who did he kill? No idea. <laughs> they left that completely open. It was That's someone so that the annoying. Cops, it's someone that the cops just randomly threw at him to sucker out the the father mm. because they're looking for the father. Because the uh, father was a wanted criminal as well. Uh, okay. And But then when they realize that the son is an even worse criminal, the three of them team up to go after the son. And it is one of these movies that has, like, the biggest, like, holy crap. There's, like, so many twists throughout this movie. Mm. And it's just unbelievably well done. I am so sad that I didn't see this at the festival. But Cold in July is hands down my favorite that I watched this week. Okay then. All yeah. right. Cool. Cool. Uh, the other, the one I watched after that, uh, da, 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 there it is. It's called Another Earth, starring Britt Marling. Actually, in the other room is another Britt Marling, the other Britt Marling movie called The East. But I watched Another Earth. The idea of this movie is that Earth is normal, the Moon is normal, but four years ago, a second Earth appeared and started getting closer, almost like it's at a slower orbit than ours. Wait, I feel like I've seen a trailer for this. Keep going, keep going. I feel like this is the plot to a Junji Ito comic. There's a second... There is a second movie that's very similar to this, but not quite. Um, so anyway, Britt Marling's character uh, is underage, gets drunk, hits someone, kills the, the wife and son. That's the setup of the story. Nope, that's not what I was thinking of. So anyway, another Earth, then cuts four years later. The second Earth is much closer. It's bigger than the moon in the sky. So something's wrong. Majora's Mask! But she now becomes like a janitor and then starts working for the the husband slash father of the people she killed. Kind of like to, she wants to admit to him that, you know, that's the problem, that like I was the one who did it, but he doesn't know. This is where the movie gets kind of cliche. The husband slash father ends up falling in love with her. She knows yep. that it can't work because she's the one. She's the one that killed the killed the son and wife and unborn daughter. Oh man! Yeah, and then kill. ultimately she gets invited to be one of the civilians to head over to Earth Two, mm-hmm. and she gives up her pass and gives it to gives it to the the guy. Uh-huh. I'll be honest; none of that interested me. What interested me was the whole stuff with Earth 2 and the fact that the first contact, Jane Ado or whatever, my name is Jane Ado, and then the response is, hi, uh, I'm also Jane Ado, and it's that everyone in this world is on that world. Uh-huh. That was fascinating, but it was like a completely superfluous secondary storyline that went nowhere, and that bothered me. Mm-hmm. Like, I absolutely loved that storyline, and I didn't care at all about the cliche romance BS. Yeah, I didn't really care about her storyline. 
It's like I've seen it. You know, it's it's nothing special. I've seen it better. Yeah, and I love Britt Marling. I really do, and I love the the guy who plays Ethan Rahman Lost. But the two of them, meh, compared to this really cool storyline of another. What Earth. if a completely yeah. another Earth with everyone essentially copied on it? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, and it was like that. That was the cool part. But that's like the backstory. Oh, that's so. That's where I love Britt Marling. She did OA and she did a few other other films, but yeah, I wasn't all that interested. This one was just just okay. It was it was kind of weirdly shot. It was really really low budget, like micro budget, but shot on film, and it shows. So yeah, uh, wouldn't really suggest it, but check out Beast. That one's great. And the big movie I watched finally is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did not see that one. Nope. Wanted to. <sighs> I had no interest. I was born in 88, so 69, I wasn't alive during them. I will say my my dad, who was born in 54, loves this movie. Like, he thought it was perfect. Maybe not perfect, perfect. He's not gonna be but it's definitely movie, up there. But he said it captures it perfectly. And I will say, from everything I've seen, it's that movie captures the world perfectly. It's like living in 1969 for almost three hours. But, nothing happens. There are like, ten minute long sequences of Margot Robbie trying to decide if she wants to go to her own movie. And It's a character study in the deepest sense. Yeah, it's a character study, and it is a fascinating character study. And By the end of the movie, I'm like, wait, whoa, that's it? That was three hours long? Whoa, crap, cool, awesome. You know, it, it breezed right by. Like, it was, it was brilliant in that sense, but it was just at the end of it, I wanted more. You know, I wanted don't go yeah. don't go looking for the action movie that Tarantino usually delivers. Yeah. Like don't go looking for a Kill Bill or a Hateful Eight. You get one holy crap brutal scene of violence. Uh, I won't spoil who the hell Brad Pitt's beating the crap out of, but he beats the crap out of a few people. Keep an eye out. Brutal. Damn. Uh, so be wear- be wary of that. But the first. Two and a half hours is like not not so much a character study as a world and like setting study. So like yeah. I ended up giving it a six out of ten. And then like the more I thought about it, I have to give them all of the credit for the world. Because never once did I think like other than how did they shoot this, I never once thought something's out of place. Nothing ever felt out of place. And they recreated '69. And yeah, and as someone who did not grow up during the Manson murders, I will tell you now: if you don't know what the Manson family is, you will not get the second half of this movie. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the movie is an absolutely fascinating take on 1969. Just you need to make sure that, like you understand some of the stuff going on in this time period. You gotta do some homework before you go see that. Yeah, movie. just a little bit. But that's my take on it. It was a it was a really good movie and it deserves some Oscar nominations, mostly for like production design and that kind of stuff. But I don't know what else it's gonna do. It's just kind of this weird movie that doesn't need to explain itself, but at the same time kind of nowadays needs to explain itself. Mm. So yeah. So that's my onslaught of movies that I've kind of caught up. I'm trying to get into like the watching a bunch of movies. 
because this week, starting tomorrow, I am leaving and going to the front desk. Alright, so since, again, we record this on Sunday, and tomorrow I am leaving for the Film Festival 2019. So, this week, uh, we're doing another one of those movie name association things with all the movies I'm seeing this year. It's 26, we'll get to that in a second. Going into the festival, I had everyone pick a movie that is below $1 million budget. Now, the only thing is we're not dealing with inflation because we're not spending that much time on it. But I wanted them to think of low-budget movies, independent, sub $1 million. So, who wants to start? I'll go since I'm cheating. Copy that. All right, uh, so screw that because I don't want that many that many of those types of movies, Devin. Can I'm, confirm. I'm going with an old old movie. Uh, inspiration for quite a number, the thing from another world. There's a theme this week. I did not mean for it. I will I will 100 say that I did not mean for that. It's a continuing theme almost every week, but you know this week particularly noticeable, James. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, well, a little on the nose. Thing from Another World, sometimes known as The Thing, though really that's more John Carpenter's version, based on the novella by John W. Campbell Jr., who goes there, directed in 1951 by Kristen Nyby and produced by Howard Hawks. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate on whether or not Hawks was just the producer or if he actually directed it. See, I'm more wondering, Kristen, is that a female director back back then, or is Christian? There is no I in that. There's no second I. It's oh. Kristen. Wow. I think it's still a guy. Probably, knowing Hollywood back then. And considering some of the names, but, uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, <laughs> if you've seen The Thing, either one of them, you basically know how it goes. Creature Crash Lands. This one's in the Arctic, so this one's north. Creature lands in the Arctic, gets found by a bunch of scientists, gets thawed, goes on a rampage, and the people try to fight it as best they can. Though this one has a happier ending than the usual. Than the usual. In that, I think two two people die. That's about it. Everyone else survives. And minimum number of kill count for those that watch Dead Meat. Dead Meat. Yeah, yeah it, there are two deaths, and neither one is on screen. Um, are you talking about Christian Nyby? It says Christian here, so it could be Christian. It's Christian. Oh, okay. It could just be a typo. I completely understand that. But, I don't know what its budget was, but considering it was made in 50, I'm going to hazard below a mil. Back then, yeah, probably. I, I can't see most of those going above a mil. So, For inflation, it's like $30 million, but you know, whatever. That's why I said I'm cheating. Yeah. But it's, it's, you go back and you watch it nowadays, and it's not nearly as scary as it was when it came out, because one of the biggest problems going back and watching it now is the fact that the titular monster is a guy in a suit. And it's very obviously a guy in a suit. But it still got, has a lot of really scary scenes. The tension buildup is great, as well as the interaction between the characters. And it actually has one of, if not the first instance of a stunt where a guy gets set on fire. Oh. oh it was it was one of, if not the first one to do that. 
here's the thing. The guy in the suit when he got set on fire also happened to have an oxygen tank with him. Oh, yeah, he almost killed himself. <laughs> he almost died. But no, it's... I will definitely say I did not expect to, to like this movie as much as I did. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the original. I still enjoyed Carpenter's version more, but for what it is, it's a really good movie. Yeah, of the three, Carpenter's easily the best, but the original is actually really good. It's also shocking to see everyone smoking. For the time. It for, is yeah, not for, aged all that well. No, it's also a surprise to see everyone smoking. And I mean, like, actually smoking. There's a couple guys that smoke pipes, and you can actually see the smoke from it. It's like, oh, no, they just lit up. <laughs> Which is kind of cool, and I miss seeing. But that was mine. So who wants to go next? I guess I will go next, since everyone's staring at me. That's just purple hair. I know it's going next. Okay. okay, so I will go next, because I've talked about I'm going to be on the podcast before. I googled a bunch of movies that were made for under a million dollars, and the only one that I had seen was Napoleon Dynamite. Oh. Fantastic movie. Love this movie. 10 out of 10 movie. It is, in fact, a movie. It, it is a movie. <laughs> uh, not 10 out of 10, but I mean, it's such a quotable movie, and I really enjoy it. Hey, your food, Tina. Yeah, that's the big one. Yep. I'm gonna go builder or cake or something. Napoleon, give me some of your tots. I still love the fact that the uncle actually threw the steak and smacked Peter in the face. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he said, it's like, I can hit him. And winged it at him. Yeah. So, I love the opening of this movie where they take a bunch of different plates and they have a bunch of different food and they use it to spell out the opening credits. It was so cool. It was such a unique way to open the movie. And I think that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed it. I will say... Mm-hmm. When I was 10 years ago when it came out or so, it's something like that. Maybe, more, I think it was like 2005 or so, but so 15 years. Wow, I'm old. Uh, I was tall, lanky, 2004. had like bushy hair and big glasses. So you mean you know? I don't have bushy hair now. <laughs> it doesn't have big glasses. My, my glasses are nice and angular and modern looking. Okay, hipster. Yeah, duh. I just don't have the mustache. No, no, those are those those like attitudes that I only watch independent films. No, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But I looked like Napoleon Dynamite, Mm -hmm. and it caught on Mm -hmm. through my family and a bunch of other people. So people can be so. I went from thinking the movie was pretty funny to absolutely hating it Mm -hmm. in the course of a month (laughs) because I kept getting called Napoleon to the point where years later. Uh, my girlfriend's family called me Napoleon, Oof. even though I had like buzz cut hair and contacts. <laughs> so I like the movie, but it's one of those that I purposely have not watched. Mm-hmm. You've got years. bad memories associated. I also have a shirt that says "I breed ligers for their or I breed ligers mm-hmm. uh, for their skills in magic." Whatever, mm-hmm. I have that shirt somewhere in my basement. I've also cosplayed it. Don't ask. <laughs> Not going to. Why'd you offer? Of course you have. So anyway, that All was right. my movie. Which one of you two going next? I'll go. So, my movie came out in 1994. Rated R, hour and 32 minute runtime. Directed by Kevin Smith. Written by Kevin Smith. Starring Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson, Jason Mewes, Scott, or Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier. Called Clerks. 
Uh, it was made for $27,000. And Kevin Smith got the budget for this by selling off his comic book collection, borrowing $3,000 from his parents, and maxing out his credit cards. So, yeah. This was the first movie that Kevin Smith had ever made. Uh, he and Scott Moser had gone to, I believe it was the British Columbia Film School together, and they, or maybe it was the Vancouver Film School, whatever it was, they um, made a deal with each other that whichever one of them made their movie first, the other one would produce, and so Kevin Smith made his first the film his film first and Scott Mosier has actually produced every film that Kevin Smith has done since. Huh. All right. So yeah, and this was the one that kickstarted the whole independent film F well, like like the big kick of it. I believe time. so, yeah. And Kevin Smith was working insane hours. He was working 22-hour days for 21 days straight. Yeah, but now he's killing himself. Yeah. Been there for a week, and I started hallucinating, so not a great idea. No. no. The film is shot entirely in black and white. Uh, shot on film, right? Yeah, shot on film. It's probably the way they cut cost, ultimately. Yeah. And At the time, it was cheaper, yeah. They used different shading and stuff like that to... Or shadowing and everything like that in order to help with the different... Uh, moods that they were trying to set. The this is also the first in the Viewsk universe uh, set of films that he had done. So chasing Amy, Clerks, Mallrats, uh, waiting, waiting was kind of in the same. No, isn't no. Dogma actually in that? Uh, no, I do not believe so. I want to say it is, it, but it's I, a Viewsk movie, but it is not in the universe in that universe yet. Okay. To be honest, I've seen a lot of Kevin Smith's movies. I don't remember which ones are him. <laughs> like they, they just kind of blend together. They they don't right. He doesn't have like a style that stands out like a Del Toro or Spielberg. Right, and this movie also is broken down into chapters, and then which is different from all of his other movies. None of the other movies break down into chapters like this does. And it was loosely, very loosely based off of Dante's Inferno, uh, or rather the Divine Comedy by Dante. So, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this film. I saw this probably when you were too young. Oh, no, when was like too young? I was probably like sixteen, seventeen when I saw this film. Oh, okay. So about uh, honestly, probably about the age range he was thinking. Probably. The film is great in the fact that if you've anybody who's ever worked in any form of service, retail, retail, anything like that, knows the kind of like shenanigans that go on with some of the like customers that come in. And you're just like, if you don't have that job, people can't fully appreciate the weird stuff people ask for or how they react or do things. How stupid people actually is. Right. And, I, like, for instance, one of the best scenes is, um, do you have any new movies? 
and it's literally a giant sign behind this girl who's asking, saying new movies on an entire wall. Yep, been there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's stuff like that, and you're just like, yeah. I fully relate. And that's probably one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. It's because I can relate to a lot of the random crap in it. So I won't lie, I preferred Clerks 2, but Clerks is still definitely a good watch. At, yeah, least, no. at least once. Yeah. I worked so. at a big B, and I got people asking, do you sell coffee here? Yeah. That's oh, boy. That was like, really? Hmm. Do you know that movie with that guy about the thing doing the stuff? Coffee in Berlin? No. Oh. Hot coffee? No. Oh. Ooh, Navy Seals! In Bruges? What? Uh, anyways. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that's my movie. Alright. Uh, I have mentioned mine repeatedly in passing. I know, James, you're tried to watch this, but didn't get very far into it. Uh, it's a 2013 horror slash mystery slash sci-fi slash thriller film. Uh, because I'm not sure which one they're actually put in. Uh, but it's a movie <laughs> called Coherence. Shot for $50,000, so twice the budget of Clerks. Um, and it's a sci-fi horror thriller. Yeah. Oh, boy. So I wonder how much of that went to the I'm cast. not going to give away the twist. And there are like 50 of them. Yeah. Once you get past the first five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Ten. It was ten First minutes. ten minutes. It It does... There are other things going on in this movie, and I'll talk briefly about the backstory about how this movie was made, but on the night of an astrological anomaly, eight friends at a dinner party experience a troubling chain of reality-bending events, which leads to question their own, their own existence and if they are alone in this universe. Now, that's all I'm going to say about the storyline of this movie, because if you know any more, it is spoilers. It starts pretty damn fast, Mm -hmm. and it just gets weirder and weirder and more complex. And on the box here, it's comparing it to Primer, which I mentioned a few weeks ago with the extremely well-done time travel, and Time Crimes, which is a vastly underrated movie, but it's a brilliant thing about going back in time, killing someone, and then coming back forward, and that kind of stuff. It is Absolutely brilliant. But Coherence stars a bunch of people that you pseudo-recognize from other things. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not even going to bother mentioning the eight people in this movie, because you don't know their names. They're just people you recognize from other things. Written-ish and directed by a guy named James Ward Burkitt, B-Y-R-K-I-T. And the way this movie was made, for anything that's not a heavy, plot-focused moment, is that instead of giving a script, they all made their characters similar to improvisational comedy like Who's Line. They're given a characters and they are given time to develop them. Then they are given, here is your character's goal and what they don't want to do in the scene. Each one of them gets an individual one. They set up cameras, action. Mm. And it'll be like, you need to leave, you want to stay, you want to stay, you need to leave, you are not from this dimension. You okay. From, and it's like, there's other things going on from the beginning of this movie that people don't recognize. I legitimately might try to jump past that conversation and, and give it another shot. It sounds like the beginning Because there are things that you will, like, re-watching it a second time, the dialogue in the beginning that feels kind of awkward and somewhat forced.
forced. There are lines that don't make sense in the first viewing, but in the second viewing, when you realize those characters do something later in the movie, you realize those characters may or may not be the characters that other people in the scene know. Yeah, the thing that is, kind of and I've said this before to you, Devin, is the fact that when in the first ten minutes, after like five minutes, every half minute you're mentioning how catty and bitchy this one person is, yeah, and they, they aren't even there, I start getting so That dumb. character shows up, and you end up knowing what each character is. And once that is settled, the story takes off. You need to know all the characters first. Again, I might I might jump past that and give it one more try. Yeah, because it is one of those movies that there are things going on in the background of scenes that they don't point out mm-hmm. that is just absolutely brilliant. Like mm-hmm. a character walking by the by the window that then you see someone walking by the window from the other point of view while they're having this discussion in the room. And it's just this... Again, I'm not going to say much about the actual concept and story of this movie, mm-hmm. but it is so brilliant. What year did you say this was? 2013. 2013, okay. Yeah. Nice. And if anyone is curious, I have... It's one of those movies that like is super obscure, but I saw it at the film festival and I'm like, I love this film. Yeah. Holy crap. I recognize one of the actors and it's like, wait, yeah. how did they get him? I saw it on your recommendation and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is such a just weird, weird film that you think is going to go one way, and then it like turns on itself, and then it still kind of goes that way while turning on itself, and it's spirals. It's all spirals yeah. all the way. And down. it's like on a second viewing, you know what every twist is, and you see it coming a mile away, but you didn't see it the first time. But then at the same time, it means something completely different, and it is just such a brilliant movie. And it it was shot for fifty thousand dollars with minimal story over the course of seven nights. I legitimately think when most of that cost went to the actors. Most of that cost went to the actors and there is little if any special effects. So yeah, it's the actors, it's the equipment. I have no idea how they got this movie made with such small such a small budget. It is just phenomenal. Alright. So, yeah, it is... It sounds very interesting. It, I think I saw it 2013-2014 Travis City Film Festival, and it was my top of the year, even above all the Midnight movies, which are constantly my favorites. So, so yeah. That's Coherence. Uh, I have a quick list of other movies that are sub-1 million just to uh. get a point. These movies are also sub-1 million. The original John Carpenter Halloween was shot for half a million dollars. That is impressive, and it's yeah. also like you'll see a lot of it's horror a classic. Ones. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, Brick or Ryan Johnson, four hundred fifty thousand yep. dollars. Once, uh, John Carney, the Glenn Hansen and Keith Glover movie that I've talked about on musicals, shot for less than a million. Great movie, awesome, brilliant movie. Original Evil Dead, Sam Raimi, and Evil Dead Two, also shot for less than a million. Mm-hmm. We're about a million. Napoleon Dynamite, as we mentioned, Super Size Me, yep. Morgan Spurlock's movie about. Um, McDonald's. McDonald's shot for less. Uh, the greatest movie ever sold is shot for technically zero dollars because it's all paid for, but it's still shot for very cheap. Uh, Primer that I that I mentioned a while ago about the time travel that was shot for seven thousand dollars. What or yeah. the price of a secondhand used BMW? As they kind of compared that, I thought that was cool. Uh, one of Tom Hardy's early movies, Bronson. 
Mm -hmm. which is one of, if not his best acting, even above all the rest of the stuff he's ever done. One of his best movies ever made. It's a great movie. Less than a million dollars. Monsters, Fetty Alvarez, who would go on to direct the Evil Dead remake. Less than a million dollars. Safety Not Guaranteed with Mark Duplass and Aubrey Plaza. Mm -hmm. Less than a million. Duel, Spielberg's first movie. Kronos, Guillermo del Toro's first movie. Breakfast Club, one million dollars. Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee, less than a million dollars. Rocky, the first one, million dollars. And the movie I mentioned earlier, Another Earth, for $65,000. So, yep. We also briefly mentioned before we started, we were talking about the Blair Witch Project was $60,000. And Paranormal Activity, which are both quite big names in horror, was $11,000. And I actually, uh, Paranormal Activity made $193 million plus change. Yep. It almost made, and what, 2,000 times its budget? Yeah, it is... 20,000, I think. I actually really, really enjoyed Paranormal Activity. The sequel is not so much, but the first one, really good. Blair Witch, same thing. Yeah. First one, pretty good. And, and again, you might notice the trend of a lot of horror or it's like character study stuff. Yeah, front heavy. First one was Passion Project, then it went down. Yeah, yeah. but I, well, I'm just saying, like, yeah. for the cheap stuff, you'll see either like a lot of character study or a lot of horror. Yeah. Because those are really cheap to make. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that takes care of the uh, under $1 million category. Melody kind of got you in the independent field. Let's jump into another word asso- or name association. Right. Reminder for those of you that haven't listened to the other, the past one called Name Association or whatever we named it. Yeah. I'm going to be giving a name of a movie. This time I will be saying if it's a narrative, foreign language, U.S. Giving us a hint. Giving you a little bit of a hint or a documentary. Documentary, narrative, and if it's foreign language or in English. Yeah, it was our Guess That Movie podcast. Yeah, Guess That Movie podcast. That's like yeah. four or five episodes ago. Go and, yep. the, or go and give that one a watch or listen. listen. Watch that, one, I, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, this one will be a little bit easier because half of them are pretty obvious. Half of them, not so much. You say that, Devin. Watch me fuck it up. Uh, pretty sure this first one, if you get it wrong... Man, you're trying too hard. So, but yeah, I'm going to give them a title and kind of a brief hint, but not too much. They're going to have to try to guess what the movie's about. I'm going to give like a just, just like a synopsis, who's in the movie, any notable thing like that. We'll move on. This is also in order of I'm seeing it at the festival this year. Okay, cool. So last time we went uh, clockwise. So don't we go counterclockwise today. Oh, you're going to give me extra time. Yes. Oh. Copy yeah. that. Tom's still in the middle. He doesn't care. Nope. He gets <laughs> no choice. You will take right. what we give you and you will like it. It'll be a quick topic. Never been, I've oh. never been a male child. I guess this is what it's like, folks. <laughs> time to get Pretty some much. coffee in me. Okay. So, movie okay. number one. Movie number one. I will say this is going to be the easiest of them all. Brittany runs a marathon. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. Guys, we're starting it off real hard. In an in English language narrative feature. No way. Yeah. Um, It's about this girl named Tanya who okay. ice skates. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm going to guess Nancy, it's, about, it's about this girl named Brittany who runs a marathon. Maybe the Boston Marathon, maybe the New York Marathon, maybe Big Marathon. Maybe it's just her, like, overcoming something and deciding to run a marathon. I don't know. 
Okay. Okay, so it's about a person named Brittany. Okay. Who is preparing for a marathon. Okay. And the last thing that we see is her going to the marathon and during credits or something we might see what the outcome is. But it's uh, everything is her leading up to getting prepared to actually run the marathon. I will remind everyone, I have not seen these movies yet. I'm running on synopsis and trailers. And none of us have our phones except for Devin. <laughs> yep. okay. uh, it's oh. Run Fat Boy, but with a chick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, ultimately, <laughs> Tom exactly got it. Damn, but, Tom. Nice. But... I'm gonna give it to all three of you because you basically all got it. Jenny, you're getting you're gonna basically be getting an extra like half point because you mentioned the New York Marathon specifically. <gasps> yes! A woman Tom. living in New York <laughs> takes control of her lazy life one block at a time by wanting to run the New York Marathon. And it's her basically the couch to five K mm-hmm. type thing. Going couch to New York Marathon. Oh, I can see why you're adding me because of Run Fat Boy, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, run Fat <laughs> Boy. Run. Funny. The whole thing is her preparing, literally, uh, the New, New York, York Marathon. So I'm giving you each one point. Wow, that's Yay. actually kind of funny. So This it is, is going to be the best yeah. we ever do. That is the best you're oh. all going to do. So. It's all downhill from here. All right. The next one, and I'm not positive I mentioned this. Tom, you're going to probably have to be excused by a couple of these because you know some of them. But the next one is called The Silent Revolution. Could I have the genre, please? Right. Uh, let me pull. Do you want the actual country? Or yes. do you want the... Ge- I will give you... If it's, if it's English, I'll say English. Okay. Otherwise, I'll say the continent. How about that? That works. That way... Sure. Cool. Fine. Okay. Unless that's too much. The Silent Revolution is a German narrative. Okay, well, when you say German, I'm automatically go to something World War II related. Because I was originally thinking something about, like, the Cold War. But I think I'm just going to go with something to do with World War II, maybe? And that's Battle of God. I don't okay. know. Very broad. Okay. Tom. The Silent Revolution. German narrative. It's about someone who is deaf and trying to deal with the world around them. Specifically having to uh, try to figure out how to uh, integrate with the like a mainstream bus- like a big business um, as somebody who's deaf and not being able to speak like a normal person. So they would have to use sign language to uh, discuss things when most people don't know what how to speak sign language. Okay. So sign language, World War II. Something. You mentioned a bunch of things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Time to go off rails. Okay. Germany, the 1910s. <laughs> okay. Archduke Franz Ferdinand coming through. Assassination plays out. 
but the assassin is deaf and must try to escape the country after his deed is done. You know, it's worked out one time for him, but he just never let it go. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, but yep. the thing is, I have fun with it. That's true. This one was very easy. There's nothing but deaf people. So, the fact that she mentioned World War Ger- or World War and Cold War Germany, Jenny. Yay! I was too early. <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty heavily Jenny. Yeah, Yay! not surprised. So, the Silent Revolution is in about an entire classroom of 12th grade East German communist-controlled Democratic Republic Republicans. Is traumatized when they discover what is really happening during the Hungarian uprising of 1956. This forbidden information that they hear over the radio brings them into conflict with the school and government authorities when they decide to have a two minute moment of silence for those fallen in the revolution. Wow. Huh. So they have a two minute, like, moment of, or a moment of silence for enemy combatants. The government then comes in and starts grilling them about why they had the moment of silence. And you said this is a narrative, not a documentary? Narrative. Okay. Yeah. Is it based on true story? Yes. Ah, okay. They only did it for a minute and a half. But, but it's one of my top of the top of the festival I'm seeing it at 9 a.m. on Wednesday. Oh, boy. Woohoo! That's going to be early for me. The is that coming up, off of a midnight? No, it's oh, coming up at 7.30, Britain Runs a Miracle. Oh, yes. The next one wait, is... Wait, 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 wait. Why are you watching Britain Runs a Miracle? It's the opening night movie, and it actually looks really good. Don't ask him why he watches anything. This man watches Jack Quick backstory. I have learned to trust the film festival when it comes to these kind of movies, because the Trevor City Film Festival is one of, if not the only, invite-only film festivals. You oh. cannot pay for a ticket. They have to select you. Oh, Fancy. So they are very tough to get into, and that means that their like selection criteria is extremely high compared to other. Oh, the actual movies. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, so not the wait bowl. It's yeah. like the movies. That's okay. the fu- okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So my noon Wednesday, Etruscan smile. At least one of you knows what Etruscan means, but Etruscan smile. European, because I'm not sure what country. Narrative. Oh, crap, really? Yep. Well, Huskins smile. see, me having no idea what that word means, I'm going to go with something. Yeah. I'm going to go with maybe an indigenous peoples of Europe, somewhere in Europe where there's an indigenous population left. Maybe there'd be Etruscans. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Tom was just laughing. Tom? <laughs> Crap. Someone tickled the Tom. Can we, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he tickled himself. Just sorry, just your. your, your... Why is that the word? <laughs> no, you're. That's gonna hurt. Can I Google this word? Can I just Google the word? No. No, you're. You can. They can't. Fantastic. Your... You said it. <sighs> okay. Your description was great. Alright. Have you finished? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, it's about the Mona Lisa. Ha! Huh. Right? Because Da Vinci's Italian. The Etruscans are from that region. If I'm not mistaken, they're not. They're actually from Italy. But, uh, so it's about the Mona Lisa, uh, or some other famous piece of artwork, 
and or artist and they're if they're from Italy. That's that's what I'm going with. Uh, that's a good one. Alright. James, good luck. Day in the life of a pre Roman villager. Well, uh all three of you. No. Alright, so go to the next column. Gotcha. Yeah. Alright. The Etruscan smile the Etruscan smile stars stars Brian Cox. Wow. Wow. Mentioned last week in all of our all of our uh, mythological stuff. As a character named Rory McNeil. A rugged old Scotsman. I'll get to the Etruscan thing in a second. Okay, I was gonna say. It yeah. Who reluctantly leaves his beloved isolated island and travels to San Francisco. I trust I, I swear the Etruscan plays it here somewhere. And travels to San Francisco to seek medical treatment. I think he's lying. Moving into the strange sun, Rory sees his life transformed through a newly found bond with his baby grandson. That is literally the entire story. But uh, the Etruscan smile is the smiles they gave on the statues. And I guess, and this is where I'm not sure where the hell the Etruscan smile is, except it's a scene in a movie. The Etruscan smile is something they gave on statues that made the dead seem happy. So you get that kind of creepy monuments that are smiling instead of instead of neutral. Okay. That is the Etruscan smile is smiling while depressed. Okay. Yeah. That being said, <laughs> Roar, or uh, Brian Cox looks brilliant in this movie. Uh. There's not a whole lot, a lot of these. I don't know enough about to say if they're good or bad. I mean, that's fair. I haven't seen them yet. When I come back, I'll go over that. But not gonna lie, I I caught bullshit on that one. (laughs) Yeah, the Etruscan smile. Ultimately, he bonds with somebody over the fact that he knows what the Etruscan smile is. The Etruscan smile is the facade of being happy when you're not, and that's kind of what he's doing. It's called life. Yeah. (laughs) So it's one of those that doesn't exactly fully make any sense in the course of the name, but fair. Okay. there. Okay. You heard me. I thought it was something to do with Rory. It's all... The uh, original title was Rory's Way, so, you know. <laughs> so much better. Also, doesn't really help. Not Yeah, but it's not nearly as fucking pretentious. Yeah. All right. Next up, my 3 o'clock on Wednesday, Troop Zero. It is American Narrative. So, zero. Yep. something military related, some kind of troop or battalion, and maybe they were the first people in somewhere. Wait, is this about the people that shot Bin Laden? Maybe? I don't know. Something about something like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, moving away from Scale Team 6. We're oh, Scale Team 6. <laughs> yeah, that's who it was. Shut up. Uh, we're gonna go with it's the first Boy Scout troops to start to start integrating girls. Oh, that'd be dope. Thanks. I'm going to go with a disaster flick with quarantine from a bioweapon by the military. Tom gets it. Damn it. Not as close as you're probably thinking there, Tom, but Tom gets it. In rural 1977 Georgia. A misfit girl, played by McKenna Grace from Gifted, okay. 
dreams of life and life in outer space. When a competition offers her a chance to be recorded on NASA's golden record, which will be sent out to space, she recruits her own troop of, of birdie scouts. I'm guessing that's like Girl Scouts. Forging friendships that last a lifetime and are then sent into space. Hmm. I'm giving it to you because you hit troop and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts kind of thing. So. Okay. Eh. He was the closest. No, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. It completely makes. He was closer than the two of us. Oh, definitely. Because we went military. Yeah. I. I really, really like mechanic races. Yeah. It's about that you said zero. That's why I went biohazard. And the reason why I went zero is because it seemed like it was like the starting point for something big. Yeah. I'm guessing they call themselves Troop Zero. I cannot find a trailer for this movie to save my life. Okay. But I saw the cast, and it's a pretty decent cast of just people I recognize in McKenna Grace. Like, okay. Kind of like, so I'm like, in. Golden. Cool. Nothing right. else in this time slot? Seen it. All right. Uh, this next one, just good luck, everybody. I'm going to give you the country if nobody's heard of this. Capernaum. Capernaum. Has anyone heard of this movie? No. Uh-uh. Okay. It's from Lebanon. <laughs> Lebanon. Yep. And it's a narrative. Lebanon. Good luck. Capernaum. C A P E R N A U M. I do not know. N A U M. Anything? N A U M. Huh. I don't know hardly anything about Lebanon. I have met a Lebanese student. He was very sweet, but didn't tell me a whole lot about his country. So, I know they speak like a dialect of Arabic, if I'm not mistaken. So, I have absolutely no idea. I will tell you that the the word Capernaum means chaos. Okay, that's helpful. I was curious because I I didn't know. No, and I was actually trying to think what could Capernaum mean. Chaos. <coughs> it. He says a narrative. It could be about oh. the war going on in the Middle East. You know, something like with Syria, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon is close to there. So something along those lines, just about the war. Sure, we'll go with that. Mm. All right. I'm going to say that this movie is. About. Be careful how that's angled, by the way, Devin. I could if I tried to, but. Uh, I'm going to say that it's about um, the religious conflicts that are going on over in the Middle East. And it's told from the perspective of a child or a student. Okay. I'm going to go with following a soldier during the Lebanese Civil War. Hmm. I'm going to have to go with Tom, strictly for the fact that, that you said it takes place, uh, it's from the point of view of a child. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Capernaum follows a, car- follows a boy named Zane, or Zane al Rafaya, a Lebanese boy who sues his parents for the crime of giving him life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Zane... Murdered someone when he was when he was a child. 
I believe it was on accident, but now he is suing his parents for negligence, which led him to killing this person. Okay. Surviving through his wits on the streets, where he meets Ethiopian migrant workers who provide him shelter and shelter and food and so on, but it is ultimately about him seeking justice against his parents that wronged him and led him to murder someone. Wow. That being said, this was nominated for best best foreign language film at the Oscars this past year. Very cool. And it's in cool. Lebanese or Arabic? I believe it's in I believe it is in probably every language in that general area. Okay. A lot of these jump between languages. Lebanese and Lebanese French. and French. French. Uh, okay. Arabic and Amharic. Amharic, yeah. 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 Those are the languages. Okay, that's yeah, a... because you mentioned kid. Yeah. Fair that's an interesting one. But mm-hmm. it has gotten rave reviews and I'm like, I'm all in for this. Yeah. No idea what the hell it's about. Like, I keep reading it, I'm like, okay. Uh, this next one, I'm going to give you all free, because I've mentioned this before, Purity of Vengeance. This is the Department Q about the... Oh, I don't already forgotten. About the detectives. Uh, they they find three dead bodies in the, the attic. Nope. I'm giving us all a point for it, because we already know. I've mentioned this one when we did the detectives. Well, I legitimately forgot about it. Same. So you could have done it. We would have had another game. All right. The next one, narrative. How surprising. I have a lot of narratives. Independent. American. Okay. Independent. Um, its name, Villains. I will say this is my number one most look forward to movie. I'm watching it at midnight, Wednesday night. You said the nights tend to be your favorite ones. They are constantly your favorites. Let the right one in. The host. The chaser. Uh, Air Guitar Nation. Borat. I love midnight movies. This looks just up my alley. So it's just called Villains. Villains. Okay. So I'm gonna go with. See, I wanted to go down kind of a Disney route, and maybe talk about how the villains of each movie are made and how they decide to portray them in film. Like Ursula from The Little Mermaid or Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, how they decide to go down their costume routes, their um, like makeup type routes, things like that. And okay. how they integrate with the movie. I want to say that this movie is about... People who are typecasted to play villains regularly in films and almost support, uh, create like a support group because they're they can't get out of that that like hole. That's mean, an interesting. Do you, one. Wait, wait, do you mean that scene in Wreck It Ralph when they're all gathered around the table? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> kind, of, kind of, but it's from that. But instead of being like these are the characters themselves, these are the actors who portray those characters. And they are like, you know, I'm constantly being picked on because, you know, I'm playing this horrible person in this thing. I'm not like this in real life. This isn't me. But oh. like, but people can't separate me from the characters I play. Oh, Joffrey. I've heard a lot of yeah. a lot of actors have that issue where they're they're hated for their character. The guy who plays Joffrey, mm-hmm. yeah. nicest kid and, from what I hear, and oh, they yeah. get tons of hate comments and people throw things at them on the streets, and that's awful. It's kind of like I kind of, I'm pretty sure Tom Felton felt that way for a while. Draco Malfoy, yeah, yeah. yeah. or Alan Rickman. Yeah. All right, yeah. so let's do you. 
James. <sighs> I'm gonna go a different route. Notice, see if you notice a theme. Following a resistance, specifically an interrogation to get information to take down what first seems like a corrupt government, then the flip side. Yeah, I saw that shake. <laughs> then the flip side is that you're actually, you're actually, you were actually following terrorists who want to take who want to take over a peaceful nation to then go against their own nation. Oof. You can tell you can't tell me that wouldn't be interesting. The thing is, uh, Tom, no, Jenny, no, James, you're like five steps too high. Damn it! I, I could see parallels, but I'm still gonna give it a miss. Okay. Damn it! After a pair of amateur criminals have their car break down, the criminals, played by Pennywise, Bill Skarsgård, okay, and Micah Monroe, the main character from It Follows, oh wow, okay, break into a suburban home where they stumble upon upon a girl locked in a cage in the basement. Oh, this one, and they end up meeting the two sadistic homeowners who will do anything from getting their secret from to keep their secret from getting out. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh my god. The, you're, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm like five five levels up. But like I can see where it's a parallel. But the damn it. The homeowners, Jeffrey Donovan and Kira Sedgwick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Donovan? They're those two are the homeowners. And the people, uh, Mike Monroe and Bill Skarsgård, are the the ones that break in and ultimately get taken captive by these two. I might have to. I might have to watch this just I for Donovan so alone. I am so pumped for this movie. I loved Burn Notice, and, he and the fact that it's this twisted midnight movie. So in. No, it, yeah. It sounds like a really great description of a porn. The only trailer I can find is the two robbers trying to find car keys and like going around and like what the hell what the hell? like freaking out trying to find car keys and the two homeowners coming back and just okay um okay kid okay man we're taking your car oh, oh okay okay yeah you can do that here's the keys but first i gotta ask what the hell is with the girl <laughs> in the basement oh i was hoping you didn't see that Okay, yeah, you're gonna stay here, and we need some drinks. <laughs> and it just is like creepy, like all of a sudden, like oh, there's like a reverse Home Alone going on here, and I'm so in. This is easily my top of the oh year. God, and I'm I, like, I am so in for this. No, movie. yeah, I again, I might have to watch it just for Jeffrey Donovan. I hope this comes out. I love Bill Skarsgård. Bill oh. Skarsgård, and I have, I wanted to mention it follows, but it oh for my. my uh, my under one million, but it's over one million. But it follows a, such a good horror movie. Yeah, and Mike Monroe was great in it. So I'm in for those two. All, all the yeah. names sound great because there's only eight people in this cast. Yeah, because Donovan Everything takes just, place in a house. Donovan plays the crazy Bottle guy, drama. beautiful. Yeah, I'm like, this no. looks awesome. Devin, Devin, tell me how that is because I, I think I want oh, to watch yeah. that. I mean, I'll be posting reviews and probably popping them onto the onto our Facebook page. But please yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I will probably the next day. Let's. Keep on moving. Yeah, yeah. Noon on Thursday, top end wedding. It is Australian narrative. Said so top end E N D. Yep. Top end wedding. 
I'm gonna go with a Father of the Bride type movie, but they're all rich. And then things happen. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, okay. Did you say this one was a narrative too? Yeah. A lot of narratives this year. Right. I think I have one documentary. Oh, that's cool. Means I'm most likely I'll like all these. All right. That's why I said so. Yeah. Top End Wedding is a movie from the perspective of the wedding planner. Ooh. Uh, and how they interact with one, if not several, uh, couples getting married. And they specialize in like super high end, so like, um, like government officials and movie stars, stuff like celebrities, that, yeah. celebrities, uh, and dealing with that, and also having to like get security and things like that, and the whole shebang that goes along with that, and it's told from their perspective. Oh, I can respect that. Okay, mine's gonna be nice and easy. Bridezilla meets Crocodile Hunter. <laughs> what are the Irwins getting into this? Go into a little bit of explanation of that, because you might have it. No! 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 Tom? No. But, you'll see. <laughs> Wait, I threw that out Remember exactly what you just said. Exactly what you just said. Remember that. That'll come back. Okay, I said, I said Bridezilla yep. meets Crocodile Hunter. Okay. That explains to me these unreasonable, wealthy prima donnas who want stupid, exotic stuff and go to extreme lengths to get it, no matter what anybody says. Okay. So I'll, I'll let me decide if James gets this. Okay. The original description was a little better, but Lauren and Ned are engaged. They're in love, and they have just ten days to find Lauren's mother, who has gone AWOL somewhere in the remote north of Australia, and reunite her with reunite her parents and pull off the dream wedding. <sighs> they are literally going north into like Tanzania or the top end of Australia to uh, hunt for the for the mother-in-law. I I'm gonna go with no. Um, yeah. yeah, but. Okay, so I'm going to say miss. Yeah. Miss. I mean, you all got wedding. It's yeah. surprising. And not like, close. my throwaway was disturbingly accurate. Like Tom, close. what you just said, remember exactly that. Okay. Exactly. You won't get it right, because you won't realize what movie this is, but exactly what you just said. Okay. That's kind of funny. You got something else right ten movies from now. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. The next one. Uh, 3, 3 p.m. We're sponsoring a different version of this one, but the same movie. Framing John DeLoria. Narrative slash documentary. American. Framing John DeLorean? Yep. As in the car? Yes. So. Oh, wait. Maybe... I'm going to go with the car thing. Maybe someone who had this idea for the DeLorean car and someone pulled a Thomas Edison and stole it and patented it before the original person could. Okay. And then framed someone else for doing it. Sure. We'll go with it. 
I'm going to go with um it is how uh a documentary about how the DeLorean came into being like such a popular car and actually got used in the movie Back to the Future. And the framing part is actually like framing it up to be in that film. Um and how they went through that process and then the downfall of the DeLorean. Okay. As a brand. Next. Following the journey of a man who wants to who who buys a DeLorean and watches as it's made through the factory piece by piece and going over the history of it all. And just kind of like a a, a mock-up fictional story of what it means to him or something like that. Okay. Tom, I'm gonna give this one to you. Damn it, Tom. I thought so. I can't get a full plot synopsis for this one, but the movie stars Alec Baldwin as John DeLorean, the guy who invented the DeLorean. Wow. The plot is, who was the real John DeLorean? To some, he was a renegade visionary who revolutionized the automobile industry. To others, he was the ultimate con man. It is a pseudo- documentary biography documentary not so much as like a reenactment showing John DeLorean creating the DeLorean and then how much of a catastrophic failure it was oh wait wait, it tanked so I'll give it to you it tanked cool yeah it only got kept alive briefly by the uh, Back to the Future movies but it's a really weird uh, Alec Baldwin Josh Charles from Sports Night uh, Dean Winters, the Mayhem guy. Wow. And then Lorena Bacharin, who played uh, uh, Inara in yeah. Firefly. Lorena Bacharin. Jeez. It's this kind That's of weird. Some names. Yeah, it has a. Yeah. It's like a bunch of names, but it is a documentary yeah. uh, with like reenactment by actual stars. So, yeah. It sounds really cool and really weird. So, next one. I'm going to say good luck with this one. Great. American Love. narrative. No help there. Driveways. How is it spelled? Driveways. Like W-A-Y? W-A-Y-S. Okay. Yep. You said narrative? Yep. Okay. I'll say I can't find much about this movie. Can't find a full trailer. It's just a couple of scenes. So. It's about construction workers. Okay that pave driveways. However, one day, there is an accident, and they try to cover it up by burying the body underneath the driveway. Jimmy Hoffa. Okay. So this movie is about... um, The... About somebody taking a trip, and as they're driving down all these different streets and everything like that, it's literally about them taking a long driving trip someplace, and it's covering all the different streets and what they see as they're traveling down these streets, and they're pointing out, and they come across things that are, like, incredibly mundane in some cases, but in other cases... They're like, wait, what the heck was that? And what did I just see? And you're like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to deal with this now. 
and it, they come ultimately to the decision of do what we just saw do we report it or do we just keep driving okay. horror story about potholes taking over the roads to where the only safe place it's only safe haven, haven our driveways alright I have I'll be honest, wasn't expecting anyone to get anywhere near this. Yep, and that's why I didn't bother. Yeah. Uh, Drive though I would love places. to watch a do- like a horror film about killer potholes. Are you uh, going with a killer tire? That's yeah. Michigan. Rubber, yeah. Uh, uh, it's about driveways at fast food restaurants. <gasps> no. Um, okay. Another good guess. I'm going to say ultimately a miss. Uh, a lonesome boy accompanied by his mother on a trip to clean out his dead aunt's house. Ends up forming an unexpected relationship with the retirees who live next door. That's hmm, okay. Yeah, it's a in, independent little thing, kind of like a Saint Vincent, where you have friends, the next door neighbor. Totally like that movie. Yeah. That was a great. It, movie. it looks very similar to Saint Vincent's okay. the thing, where the the young young boy ends up befriending the the widower that that lives next door. So kind of like a coming of age story yeah. sort of yeah, you know that kind of thing. thing. So, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, no shot in the dark. Yeah, I wasn't expecting much out of that one. Um, that was six p.m. Thursday. Now nine p.m. Thursday. This one, I don't think anyone's heard of it, but it does have some number or name stars in it. American narrative, official secrets. Is this about? Uh, the dude that ended up going to Russia. What was his name? Snowden. 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 I will say this is US-UK. Kind of <sighs> English-based. I don't think Snowden. Because didn't he, didn't he f- like flee to Russia or some crap like that? Sealand? He bought Sealand or something? Yeah, he doesn't like that. Um, it's US-UK. Maybe it's just about the Secret Service and whatever the British Secret Service is called, and how they work together. MI6. Yeah, MI6, though. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Alright. So, uh, this is about the um, the formation of the first major spy rings that were internationally used between the U.S. and Britain. In order to overcome the Cold War. Okay. James. I'm not going to lie. That's very similar to what I was thinking. You say something similar. Yeah, I know. And that's kind of what I... It's like a story on the actual existence of otherworldly beings. Like a Area 51 like between the US and the UK. Okay. That would be dope. I was going to say, there's not much you can say that will be Jen. <gasps> yeah. That's, Yay. I'm giving the points to this one to Jen. Yay! So happy. I'm not surprised. It's like I, I was literally blanking. This is the true story of a British whistleblower named Catherine Gunn, played by Kira Knightley, who leaked information to the press about an illegal NSA spy operation designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Mm. So very much a WikiLeaks type mm. type yeah. thing. But you were definitely down the right path. But She's a whistleblower that ultimately starts the Iraq War. Damn. That's a hell of a 
credit. Yeah. Damn. So, it's one of those that I didn't really know what the movie was until quite a bit later when they when I found the trailer and I'm like, oh, this looks amazing. I am in. Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. I'm like, I am all in for this one. So, where, yeah, that where, was... where are we at the point so far, Tom? Uh, Jenny death. with four, James two, me with five, Mrs. four. Dang it. All right. Midnight movie. Think weird, think horror, think just batshit crazy. Devin, that's what I've been embroiled in this last week. This one is... I believe it's American. I can't figure out much about this movie. It's English. It's English language. Uh-huh. Narrative. Greener grass. It is not about drugs. I will tell you that. Okay. <laughs> I thought about that when I mentioned when I said that, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's about marijuana." I'm like, "Nope." Wait, you were you were saying horror and what else? Horror, mind trip, weird. This is the stuff that the like mostly conservative crowd ain't gonna go to. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, would be up my alley. I have no idea, because I have no idea what to expect from this one. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. This looks weird by my standards. I don't know. Sometimes our weirds coincide. <laughs> we will see. So, uh, with that information, I have no idea what to say. Greener grass. I'm, I'm going to say it is about a family. That lives in like a white picket fence type situation, and they're all serial murderers. Like they're like that family that lived on the coast that ate people. The Dahmers. The, yeah, the is it no? Oh, the Dahmer family, yeah. Is the Dahmer family? Donner yes. Donner dinner party, bro. Yeah. Donner. Donner. I always say Dahmer. I don't know why. Well, Jeffrey, 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 Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer, yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. The Donner family, though. You're right. Donner party kind of yeah. died while they were trying to make it to. Utah. They yeah, still ate people. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna go. Donner, I'm gonna go party with, of five. We're good. I'm gonna go with a very nice white picket fence house, but the people inside are crazy. Okay. I'm gonna point out. I have to go and find my schedule that has the description. Yeah, I see you have a folder in your lap. I can't find enough about this movie to fully understand what it's about, but I'm giving it a shot. So All right. Go ahead. So, this movie is about um, either a single man, woman, or a couple who constantly competes for, like, a beautification award in this small little town of America. And the thing is, they harbor a secret. And that secret is, is their fertilizer is actually made from the dead bodies of all their victims. Son of a... (laughs) Okay. Uh, made, and their victims are people who travel through town and don't actually have ties to anything, so they pick them up at like the local bar or whatever, invite them back to their to their house for a meal or whatever, and kill them that night. Pitterichik. Okay. Yes, I am an asshole. Okay. Oh no, that's not what I said. I know that's not. James, give it a shot. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can beat that one, but oh, I'm, not, I'm gonna give it my, I'm gonna give it the old college try with this try and then quit halfway through. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I'll be in debt for the next five years. <laughs> Dystopian 
posing as a utopian neighborhood. Various nuclear families compete for status. Losers go to a reassignment facility and are taken apart and are used to both nourish the land and the people a la Southern Green. It's made of people! It's made of people! <laughs> the thing is, I'm trying to figure out between the three of you, because you're all like in the right general... We're in the wheelhouse. Right? We're in the wheelhouse. I'm going to read the description. IMDb doesn't help with this. Jill and Lisa live picture-perfect lives in a candy-colored, dreamy suburban hellscape. Okay. Whether gallivanting to soccer games and pool parties or making unrelenting small talk and golf carts, the women are so desperate for validation that interactions turn bizarre at a moment's notice. When Jill gives her baby to Lisa after a casual conversation, she tries to remain stable as doubts settle in and chaos reigns while the absurdity of the family of the neighborhood escalates to hilarious fashion. Oh, and did we mention all the adults in town wear braces? A daffy delight, this black comedy that is unlike anything you've ever seen before. That is literally as much as I can get about this movie. That, um, like, weird stuff just happens. Silent Hill if it were on LFD. The I trailer are, like, they're at a soccer game and then, like, hands over a baby and the, the one just stares at the baby and then, like, just... All of a sudden looks over and like now the the husband's now like talking with the other person as if they're married and then like other stuff i'm like what is going on in are you sure you watch the trailer for this and not the crazies no is this just a dream sequence or something i have no idea it's a 95 minute movie i have no idea what this movie's about so i don't know if it's a miss Yeah. yeah i have no idea like this so, is just one that I'm going into completely blind. What it sounds like yeah. is that the are, like were these people actually like adult adults? Yeah, or, okay. they're adults. They're wearing braces though, and they're like awkwardly like having this small talk that makes it sound like they're bored, but at the same time they look really happy to be in this conversation. So, so Stepford wives? Yeah, it's like a city full of wait, Stepford wait, 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 wives, wait, 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 wait. and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. what? It sounds like the game We Happy Few. Yeah, actually, that sounds like it sounds like a it movie. It sounds on like that. We Happy yeah. Few or like Stepford Wives. But if if you don't know what We Happy Few is, it's a game where you have to take pills to be happy, and everyone in town takes them. And if you don't take your happy pills, they will find you and catch you and yell at you for not taking your pills. Think, think of but equilibrium, but it's actually happy pills and not emotional dampening. If you don't take your pills, you can see for the world for what it really is. Like people will be sitting around eating what they think is a pie, and it's actually like a rat carcass. So you have to take your happy pills to make sure that you see the world the way they want you to see it. It's almost like the reverse of The Giver. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, this movie looks crazy. I don't know. That still sounds and like it's in, in my wheelhouse, Devin. It's it's kind of like a weird mix of you and Tom. Yeah, I, w- I was legitimately thinking, it's like, which one of us was closer? And I, I don't know. Yeah. So. All right. Well. Miss it is. All right. Next. Yeah. Next, because that's like the one that I just don't understand. I won't lie, there's a couple that you've said so far that sound really interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, a whole villains, lot of these are villains great. being the, the top one. Oh, villains is way up there. This next one I think sounds cool, but I just I've seen many others in this kind of part of the world. Uh, Korea, 
Okay. Narrative. Uh, where exactly this takes place in is complicated, so I'm not going to say it's somewhere in Asia, Europe, that kind of Middle Asia. Yeah. Tel Aviv on fire. Well, I'm going to guess it takes place in Tel Aviv. Is that two words, or is that Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv is a city. It's a city. It's two words. Yeah. Tel Aviv. A-V-I-V. Thank you. Yep. On fire? On fire. And uh, you said that it's also a narrative? Why am I even asking at this point? They're all narratives. Pretty much. Even so the one that's a documentary is half narrative. So they're all narratives going forward. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you know if there's a documentary. Yeah, how about you just do that? Yeah, it's... We'll assume it's a narrative unless you say otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go with Tel Aviv and the amount of perhaps, what is the word I'm looking for? Word. Uh, people that go from one country to another that are trying to survive and escape the bad countries. Refugee. Thank you. Refugees. I'm going to go with the amount of refugees tunneling into Tel Aviv to escape their own problems and it creates such a problem with food shortages and things like that that riots ensue. Good luck. Uh, it's about a child who wants to get an education but can't. So they end up doing whatever they can to get their supplies. And then, like, the school steps in and says they can't do it, but the teacher's like, okay, whatever. That's good to go. So it's food and collapsed out of shame? Yep. That's, it's, no. no. <laughs> I'm like, I couldn't remember if that was the one that you were talking about. It's not, that's a movie that I saw a few years ago yeah. about a kid that wants to get a book that was made yeah. for, like, no money. Yeah. Yeah. So, not that. Not that, okay. Yeah. James? Uh, story of a handicapped firework maker who tragically sets his town alight one celebration. All oh, right. Hey. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> eat me. So, Tel Aviv on Fire is the name of a soap opera. Piss. Mm. Now, the titular Tel Aviv on Fire, set during the Six Day War, is very, let's just say, anti anti Israel. This mm. takes place on the border of Palestine and Israel when a hapless production assistant turned unexpected writer for the soap opera Tel Aviv on Fire finds himself in an awkward situation when the border guard who is a fan of the show but is Israeli tries to give him tips on how to write the show and won't allow him back into his country unless they change the way the show is written. Wow. It's all about the situation. Yeah. It's all about the border between Palestine and Israel which is an absolutely fascinating area if you want to kind of delve into that. I've seen a few movies about it, and I absolutely love every one I've seen. But Tel Aviv on Fire is the uh, production assistant named Salam 
trying to both balance the fact that he's not an actual writer with the fact that everyone thinks he's a writer and is giving him story notes and like you should make you should make Israel more inter- more like positive and you should make Palestine more positive but now he's not being allowed in places because he's not writing the way they want and as a writer this is fascinating to me I just love the Palestine Palestine so it's like Israel border it's like misery a little bit in Israel slash Palestine yeah but possibly without the leg breaking. It is also no. It's gonna gonna replace it with shot. It is also a comedy. Uh huh. Crap. Yeah. So, I'm really curious. It it looks really fun because it's like the the guys just like, what the hell do I do? (laughs) I'm not a writer, but they're not allowing me in until I change it. So I go and tell my bosses, and they fire me, and now I'm not allowed in. I haven't changed it, but now I don't have a job, so I don't have any reason to be in this country. Why don't so. you just wait until the next day to go back in when there's a different Border Patrol agent working? Because the next guy knows that he's on the thing because the guy blabs to his friends. Uh. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I'm like, I'm interested. Let's see how this goes. So, All right, then. Next yeah. miss. Next one. French. Narrative. Say la vie. What is that saying mean again? Isn't that the one where it's like, what happens happens. Such is life. Such is life. Yeah. That could be about literally anything. Yeah, I know. Wow, Devin, helpful. Helpful. Everyone will laugh when I explain. Great. I'm gonna go with some guy who becomes homeless in France. So he breaks down and becomes a street mime. <laughs> okay. Tom. Clown assassin, guys. It's the one I said earlier about the weddings. (laughs) Okay, James? One of these days he's going to be right about that. Uh, Lost in translation, set in Paris. Okay. Well, let me read this. You will know immediately who this is. Pierre is marrying Helena, and he wants his wedding party to be first rate. For that... He has reserved the services of the legendary Max Angley, a seasoned caterer, and his team. The reception is to take this is modern day. I don't, I don't even feel bad about losing that. The one reception though. is to take place in a sumptuous 17th century leisure castle in its beautiful park, and the music is to be supplied by an excellent DJ. The rich, arrogant bridegroom demands that everything go according to plan and stay within the the century of which it is supposed to be set. So it is exactly what you said for Top End Wedding. Exactly. Nice call, by the way. It follows the wedding wedding caretaker trying to deal with the fact that they want a 17th century wedding in 21st century France. And everything's going wrong because it's not 17th century France. This is the part where you dab. Yeah. Dead on it, Tom. No. I would probably shoot at it. So, yeah. I'm going to shoot you now. <laughs> James, that, or, uh, Tom, Tom, that is exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. Exactly right. I don't even feel bad about not, about, instead of just giving a crappy guess for that because. Man. There you go. It's so proud of you. You can have crap. Oh, well, uh, sorry, Tom, you're just down. Is that your first dab? Yep. I'm so proud of you. I will never do it. And all the people at home are like, what the hell was that? <laughs> pain, all right. pain and stupid. Yeah. Yep. Moving on. 6 p.m. Friday. Olympic Dreams. 
American or English language narrative. Again, this could be about anything. You are welcome for some yeah. of these really, okay. really obscure. Some are not so obscure. I'm going to go with the story of the gymnasts and the way they've started to change some of the rules for gymnasts. Like you can have lyrics in your music now and things like that and how they're changing regulations and making it more modern and updated. And the story of uh, most likely women, maybe men, trying to get into the Olympics. That almost reminds me of that uh, movie. I can't remember what it was, but I think it had Jeff Bridges in it. Stick it. Stick it, yeah. Love stick it. It's like, her bra strap was showing. And then all the girls whip out their bra straps? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a that legitimately reminds me of that. That's a point because her bra strap was showing. And the crowd's pissed at it. That's an antiquated rule. Well, apparently, so was her bra. <laughs> Alright. Oh, anyway, sorry. sorry. Um, this is set to the Olympics that took place in... Not this last summer, but the summer before. Uh, summer. There was a, one of the Summer Olympics within recent. Last years. one was in Korea. Well, Pyeongchang. Yeah. Pyongyang. Pyongyang. And then I don't remember the last yeah. one. Yeah. It was one of those. Okay. London. Yeah. Um, Thank you, children of men. There's a cool little tidbit for you. Yep. Uh. So. It takes place uh, involving that, and it's about um, a... Oh, no! No, take that back. This is told from the perspective all inside of the uh, Olympic Village. Uh, and it about all the things that go on inside the Olympic Village with the athletes and everything like that. And it takes place entirely inside the Olympic Village. And it's... I don't remember if it was Winter or Summer Olympics, but I think it actually may have been Winter Olympics All for this right. one. So, Following the life and career of a little paraplegic kid who wants to run the Olympics. I was going to say, the other guess I had was, like, Sped. Right. Tom, do you know anything about this movie? It sounds familiar. Okay, because that's it. Is it? Really? Yeah, Tom! Cheater! That's two he's nailed. Cheater! That's two he's full on nailed. That's exactly The only one that I can for sure say that I know for a fact is Peanut Butter Falcon, and I'm recusing myself from that one right now. Alright. In the Olympic Athlete Village, so, exactly, in Pyeongchang, Winter Olympics, a volunteer doctor played by Nick Kroll, and a country... And a cross-country skier play Alexei Pappas, who's mm-hmm. actually a, a cross-country skier. Yep. Um, they strike up a friendship and potentially a romance. Filmed on location in the Olympic Village in the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics with only three people comprising the entire cast and crew. Jeremy Teichner, the director. Nick Kroll, main actor. And Alexei Pappas, the main actress. Real Olympic athletes, including Jamie Anderson and Gus Kentworthy and other actor, or other athletes, make their way into the film as additional characters. It is 100% shot during the Olympics. 
behind the scenes by one guy and two actors. That's impressive. Yeah. They are the first non-documentary film crew to be ever allowed backstage at the Olympics. It is... Right now, it's being compared to a kind of a loss in translation style where they are like may or may not be a couple for most of the movie Mm -hmm. but that kind of style film um and ultimately no idea how it ends so no idea what that what that is but we shot extremely low budget one one crew member and he is also the writer wow yeah so yeah tom i really like nick roll i love nick roll so how many more we got out of curiosity? Yeah, we've got a few here. A few. Da, 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 da. There's like ten. So. Jeez. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, this is running long. <laughs> a little bit. It's gonna be a long Some one. Some of this we can cut out. Yeah. All right. Next one up. Chinese. 3D. I will give you that. I know it's the only 3D movie that I've ever seen at the festival. Narrative. Long Day's Journey into Night. That sounds familiar. That sounds like an album name. Oh, wait. I have that album. Yeah. Long Day's, Long day's Journey into Night. Yeah, I was going to say. Long that Day's Journey into Night. The, the, title, the title sounds very familiar. It's, a, it's from a band. Mm-hmm. I figured. I mean, you said it's an album. So, something about... Journeying from one side of China to the other, road tripping it, horse carriage in it. Sure. Um, somebody's trip across international date lines. Uh, that results in them going from um a day that never seems to end until they finally reach nighttime again. Um, and their travel actually keeps them in the daytime longer than a normal day ever should. Sounds like that scene from uh, Mummy 2. <laughs> Run past the light! Uh, modern day journey to the West. Uh, ultimately, James, your closest, but I'm still gonna have to send this. Damn it! Uh, you might be recognizing Long Day's Journey Tonight because it, it's a Eugene O'Neill play. That's kind of where the name is known for. Nothing to do with that. This is a neo-noir Chinese thriller that is ultimately about a man returning home to seek for the woman who got away while also looking into the mis- mystery of a friend's death. But the film truly defies any easy description because once the main character enters a movie theater and cues you to put on your 3D glasses, all bets are off, and so begins an impossibly gorgeous 59-minute-long, uncut, one-take shot that is all accounts of simply staggering cinematic achievement. A one-hour-long single shot. Oof. It is considered one of the most well-shot movies of the past decade. All right. Wow. And you're not so the most excited for that one? 
It's either that or villains. I'll be honest. <laughs> villains just sounds fun. And this is like... This? Holy crap. This sounds interesting to me, Devin, and I'm not yeah. using the technical side. This sounds... To me, this is a, the Neon Noir... Ch- I'll be honest, any... Uh, any thriller coming out of an, an Asian country, I'm in. It's my favorites of all time, Old Boy and so on. China? They got the good feel for it. Ooh, China has amazing thrillers. And Long Day's Rain Tonight is a 59-minute long 3D one cut, uncut one cut. take. I'm interested. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, that one was one that just, whoa, where did that come from? All right, moving on. We're on to Saturday, 9 a.m., because I'm going to, that's going to suck. <laughs> German balloon, or German narrative called balloon. I remember watching a short film that had a balloon in it, and it was mostly silent, but I think it was French. It was about this little boy chasing this balloon. The balloon was like half sentient. It was super weird. And he just followed the balloon everywhere. And then these boys tried to beat him up for the balloon. And the boy ended up finding more balloons. And that's all I can think of when you say balloon. So, are you high right now? I'm so sleepy. No, I've actually seen that movie too. I'm looking for the name of it. Yeah. I'm sleepy. So... All that comes to mind is the song 99 Red Balloons. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Son of a goddamn bitch. Or 909 Luftballons. Please stop butchering the language. Yeah, I am going to stop speak, trying to speak German because I don't do it. Ah, uh, I mean, da. Da. Wait. I mean, yeah. That would be Russian. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But... Uh, I'm going to say that this is about a balloon that starts off at, like, some sort of major celebration. And as it travels around, we get to see, uh, because it gets released, and as it travels around, it tells the story of, like, the lives of the people that it soars over until ultimately it finally deflates enough that it becomes... Trash and stuck on the side of the road someplace. All right. Or you mean in the ocean? Or in the ocean, yeah. Well, it's in Germany, so I mean, it may not end up in the ocean if it's in the middle of a mostly landlocked country. All right. So I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not gonna go to a good place. Um, to be perfectly honest, if you go to a dark place, it might be a little bit more in line with the movie. All right, then let's go forward. A sentient serial killer balloon that hangs people. I've seen that. It's called uh, Billy's Balloon by Don Hertzfeld. Uh, no. Wait, there's actually a... Yeah, it's called Billy's Balloon. It's about a, a balloon that kills children. To anyway, be fair, that's that's Drifloon. That's, that's a Pokemon. It's it's the, the same guy who made Rejected Cartoons. Right. Oh, balloon is yeah. a German thriller set in East Germany, again, in 1979. It is about a family in East Germany that builds a hot air balloon to get up and over the border into West Germany. Oh, oh so they're shot cute. down. But the young son mentions that his dad is a seems that is a, is making something with his sewing machine. These freaking kids. Yep. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Basic 
He's making a balloon. His son talks too much. <laughs> and the ending is just cut to black with gunshots. I don't know. It's damn kids. It's, it's, a, it's a thriller, and it looks super tense. And the whole family just disappears. Yep. What happened to the... Shh, they don't talk about them. So right. I'm gonna hazard a miss on that. Yeah, it's miss. Right. No, I think I was definitely the closest. It just you were dark. the closest to any actual thing. It is li- literally Billy's balloon. Grab the person, lift them up, and then just drops the kids down onto the ground. It's animated, like stick figures. Okay. Billy's balloon is, or this is Billy's balloon. This okay. no. This okay. Is, okay. This, I don't know. That would kind of be more impressive. This is Silent Revolution, which are my two 9 a.m. movies seem like they're very similar themes. So. All right, next one. We're going to make this quick because uh, good luck with this one. It's called this. American Narrative. It's called St. Francis. Jenny, go. St. Francis. <laughs> yep, good, good luck. I don't know shit about saints besides St. Nick and... St. Patrick, who drove the snakes out of Ireland. That, that's it. It's not Pope Francis. It's just St. Francis. Yep. Maybe I'm just going to say it's about the Pope before he was the Pope. All right, Tom. Good luck, Tom. All right. So you're not going to get this. <laughs> um, it's actually about a drug kingpin who <laughs> is... Uh, trying to uh, keep the government out of his area by ruling it because he believes that he can be a more benevolent leader than the actual uh, government is because they're too harsh. And as a result, it starts a war, but the people start to love him more than the actual government leaders. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't that just what's happening in, like, Venezuela right now? I have no idea. <laughs> that's that's about it. It. Yeah. I don't follow international stuff so very often, right. so... James, want to give it a shot? Oh, woman by the name of Francine cross-dresses as a priest and becomes a saint? Uh, yeah, that's a miss. Um, <laughs> Dude, I'm not going to Again, guess. I'm just going to read the log line and you're going to say, yeah, no. After an accidental pregnancy turned abortion, a deadbeat nanny finds an unlikely friendship with a six-year-old she's now charged with protecting. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, what? I have no idea where the name St. Francis comes from, so... Oh boy. After an accidental pregnancy turned abortion, a deadbeat nanny finds an unlikely friendship with a six year old she's now charged with protecting. Nope. Giant shrug. Yeah, definitely not. From everything I'm reading about it, it's high rated, looks good. That don't mean shit. <laughs> I, we'll see. Oh, Mrs. is winning so hard oh, right yeah. now. This season's like, what? All right, next up, after the wedding. Why are there so many wedding ones? I know. It's weird. After the wedding... American I'm, narrative. I'm gonna say it's about a couple that maybe they were saving each saving themselves for marriage. And awkwardness ensues. That's, the, that's why they were idiots. There you go. I'm gonna say that this is more along the lines of an O.J. Simpson type setup. Where a couple gets married and one of them off the other one after the other one is uh, supposedly having an affair. Okay. Okay. 
Surprise, Poro about the honeymoon. <laughs> An another miss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, starring Michelle Williams and Julianne Moore. American expat Isabel, Michelle Williams, is completely dedicated to the Indian orphanage she oversees. When a multi-million dollar grant is contingent upon her meeting with the benefactor, she reluctantly packs her bags, head to New York, meets a successful Teresa, Julianne Moore, and the harmless invitation Teresa extends the dog to their daughter's wedding out reveals that there is more going on where because Williams's ex-husband is the new husband is the daughter's husband and everything I've heard it's a it's a uh, American adaptation of an Oscar nominated foreign language film a few years ago alright that looks stupid <laughs> looks really good so the ex traded up for a younger model gotcha Something like that, but ultimately something else is going on that they're not saying in the trailer. So, I'm but, say. yeah, it's always a twist. Uh, oh Jesus! All right, next one up: Safe Spaces, American Narrative. Safe Spaces. Safe Spaces. It's about how boomers think that millennials need a safe space. From words and what actually happens when millennials have mental illnesses and boomers are trying to understand it. Um, safe spaces is about uh, having uh, is about people who have a uh, safe room. Okay. And uh, it talks about why they have it, and how they go about creating it, and all that kind of jazz. And uh, then stuff ensues, and it turns out that the people who would normally be breaking in to kill these people, or harm them, or whatever, are actually inside the safe room, and hiding from the people who own the house. Alright. To stay safe. <laughs> There's no laughing yet. <laughs> He's ready to go off. Yeah, okay. You follow an insane asylum patient who sees the world as a Silent Hill-like hellscape who only has specific spaces where they are considered safe as they try to deal with the trauma in their life. Another miss. So I suck at this. A lot of these, like, I'm I'm not sure what the names mean yet. Most likely after watching the movies, I don't know. But Safe Spaces follows Justin Long. Yes. Oh. Yeah. He plays a character named Josh, who's an adjunct, is a quote-unquote hip adjunct professor at a creative writing class uh, who knows how to stay relevant with his students, or so he thinks. When his quote-unquote cool teaching style ends up triggering a female student, his classroom becomes divided and his career tenuous. To make matters worse, his beloved grandmother has fallen ill, forcing his dysfunctional family to come together and face the transgression of the past. Now, Josh goes to spend time with his family to try to get away from all of the crap going on in the school, but he ends up running into that same student who just ends up making all of his life a living hell with his family, and it all comes together. That being said... The reason I'm seeing this is I love Josh, Justin Long. He's great. He's good. So. That also sounds like just the encapsulation of the 
bullshit that's been happening on campuses yeah. for the past five years. Yeah, it's uh, directed by a guy named Daniel Schechter. We did Life of Crime and Supporting Characters, both of which were really damn good, particularly Supporting Characters, which is about editors. So that was really cool. So, but it's one of those that it's mostly for the director and for Justin Long. Um, but the dialogue they have in the, the one scene that they've released is really funny. Mm. Like the sister's like, oh, that's her? Hey, hey, no, 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 don't do, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want to talk to her. Oh, fine. Okay. Well, she's going to come this way anyway. Okay, we have to leave. You're paying for this. And, like, they basically are, like, he's, like, bl she's, like, blackmailing him to stay in the seat to mm. get this awkward situation just to mess with him. And it's, like, okay. A true sibling. Yeah. And it's it's one of those that it's just kind of a... Awkward comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I could see this. Uh, okay. The next one is... Wow. What country is this? Iceland. Oh, no. What? getting it. No, pass. Icelandic narrative called Arctic. Wow. Yeah. Fucking. This one. Call me surprised. People have actually heard about, so I wouldn't be surprised if potentially Thomas heard about this. I love how you just he, think he of Thomas. He shakes his head. He shakes yeah, his head no. Nope. He's not a damn clue. He's giving you the Wilford, Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Hello, I have no idea because Iceland, I don't know anything about Iceland. Covered in green, according to Mighty Ducks. They've got they've got a giant museum of peni. Okay. That's a fact I know now. I I am not even joking. I also say this stars Mads Mickelson, so it actually does have actors in this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's the story of Leif Erikson and how he fucked everyone over by naming Greenland, Greenland and Iceland, Iceland, even though they're backwards. Alright. <laughs> it's about reindeer. That sounds wholesome. It's about the last winter. I've seen that. It's not great. Uh, no, 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 no. It's about reindeer. And the process that people go through for farming them. Yep. Alright. Thanks. Mickelson is the head of a cult <laughs> who wishes to bring about an eternal ice age by tossing virgins into the banana farming volcanoes. Fantastic. Alright. Of all of you, James is the closest, but still. That's concerning. Probably still a mess. That's awesome. You said, you said awesome wrong. When a man, Mads Mickelson, is left stranded in the Arctic after his plane crashes, and then his long-awaited rescue plane crashes as well, he must make an impossible decision. Sit idly by for yet another plane that will most likely crash, or leave the relative shelter of the downed aircraft and try to journey across the Arctic with his impaired and dying partner on a sled. With an intense will to survive, the unknown man tackles each obstacle the unforgiving train throws at him with calm proficiency. Reflected in the seem serenely barren Arctic landscape, facing exhaustion, frostbite, starvation, polar bears, and the like, the breathless and near-dialogue-free 98 minutes fly by as the stark and swift survival story leaves you utterly transfixed. Nope. Yeah. That's a mess. To me, it's like the gray. Fun yes. Mads Mikkelsen and even bleaker. Instead of Liam Neeson. Yeah. Sorry, L-I-M Neeson. 
Alright, last midnight movie. I'm assuming, judging by the filmmaker, Michiganian. Really? Narrative called The Wretched. Gross. Was it Sam Raimi? Uh, no. The same director did a movie called Deadheads. Oh, that one? I love Deadheads. Really? Oh, okay. Directed by Brett Pierce and Drew Drew T. Pierce. Set completely in Omina Omina and Northport, the wretched tells the story of a teenager who discovers when moving into a new house that his next-door neighbor is a thousand-year-old witch who starts to haunt his family. So there's a few more. I'm going to give you guest artist. It's an American one starring Jeff Daniels. Wow. I'm not even going to bother because you're probably not going to get it right away. Jeff Daniels plays a writer uh, a la uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. He's a a playwriter who has kind of hit a, a cold streak and goes back home. And that's where his, like, biggest fan, like, ends up as, like, his assistant. Is this Misery? Not really. His biggest fan starts, like, oh, I have all these ideas. And he decides, or, and it's about him deciding to either take the ideas and run with it as his own, or does he give this young guy his own shot? And it's kind of this Kent Angler's old dude. Like, he's just, nah, I don't want to do it. My 3 p.m. will be our final one of the day. Because, yeah, it's the funniest name. Woman at War, again, Icelandic. Uh, set in Iceland, it's a woman that is terror, or like going around and terrorist bombing uh, the power lines because it's a, an ugly scar on the nature. So she's going around like bombing it and like sneaking around but wearing like a soccer mom sweater and all this. And I would have honestly just, gone with she believes she's the reincarnation of Sif or something like that. No, it's the idea that she's like she's going around as like a terrorist, but she's like dressed like a soccer mom and it's this kind of weird she's like a teacher, but she's trying to cleanse the cleanse the like beautiful landscape of the of you know all the all the ugly industrial and all that. Uh, the next one is a German movie called Sticks, which takes place in the Strait of Gibraltar. Jeez. Yeah. It's all over the place this season. Sticks is about a woman in a sailboat, a doc or she's a doctor in a sailboat, who ends up coming across a uh, tanker full of refugees coming from Morocco. Hmm. But they're dying, and it's does she call the Coast Guard to help them, which they'd all get shot back, or either shot or kicked back to their country where they're dying? This, so- this sounds like that Korean thriller you were talking about. kind of sounds like Sea Fog slash Haymoo. That was it. She then decides to try to help as many as possible, and someone else calls them. So now she's stuck trying to decide, do I get as many of them on my tiny sailboat and get them out as possible? Or do I try to, like, delay them? And it it's this really fascinating-looking thing that's all on the water. But that brings us to the one that I want everyone to try to guess. So oh. this is the weirdest name I have ever heard for a film in years. 
It's a narrative, not surprising, American called Peanut Butter Falcon. I already know what it's about, so I'm accusing myself. Yeah. I don't remember what I guessed the last time. I think I said something about Falcon Trainers. This time I'm going to go in a different direction. And I'm going to go with Peanut Butter. Okay. And perhaps it's the story about how they make peanut butter in the factories and there's only a certain amount of insects allowed in each jar of peanut butter. This is real, people. This is real. You're eating bugs. So there's a certain percentage of peanut butter that is allowed to be filled with insect parts because there's so many insects in the factories. It's impossible to have a sterile environment. And sometimes there's like little bits in your peanut butter. And sometimes a falcon in your peanut butter. No, no. So they... That's, so, that's like some really ugly falcon peanut butter. No. So they employ... They get a bunch of falcons. Oh, Jesus Christ. They train all these falcons to look the outside of the factory and see if they can eat the bugs that are trying to enter the factories. There you go. You're welcome. All right. James? Good luck. <laughs> Just sounds like the Starbucks thing. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Good night and good luck. Um, peanut butter falcon. Three simple words. Yep. That feel like they mean nothing together. Yeah, I'm sure they actually do make a sick, twisted sense. <laughs> they do. Peanut. Is it following the life of like a a dancer or baseball star with the name PB Falcon? No. Damn. Tom, I know you know what it's about. Would you like to try to explain it? Sure. It is about a young man in his teens with Asperger's. 22. 22, sorry. Uh, with Asperger's who ends up escaping uh, his caretakers in order to pursue his dream of becoming a wrestler. Huh. That's adorable. Okay. And it sh- stars Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson. Shia LaBeouf. Yep. Really? As well as uh, including Mick Foley and Jake the Snake Roberts. No Jake shit. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if I'd known that, I definitely would have had... Alright, so the, the kind of full thing. The Peanut Butter Falcon is an adventure story set in the world of a modern Mark Twain that begins with Zach, 22, a young man with Down Syndrome, oh, runs away from a nursing home where he's li- been living to chase his dream of becoming a professional wrestler and, attesting, uh, and attending the wrestling school the Saltwater Redneck. Yep. Through circumstances beyond his control, Tyler, Shia LaBeouf, 32, a small-time outlaw on the run, becomes Zach's unlikely coach and ally. Together, they wind through deltas, elude capture, drink whiskey, find God, catch fish, and convince Eleanor, Dakota Johnson, a young nursing home employee, with a story of her own to join them on their journey. Now, he wants to become the legendary wrestler known as the Falcon. At one point in the movie, they find a can or a bottle of peanut butter, and that's like the only food they have. He then decides this is the gift that they've been looking for, and he 
decides to dub himself his right his wrestling name the Peanut Butter Falcon. But I was expecting like a an, an animated movie about a falcon or made out of peanut butter. But yeah, so that ultimately, was the direction I was going to go. I am seeing twenty six movies. You're a monster. In five days, twenty five movies in five days, and one on an extra day. So final score because I'm giving a miss to the last one. Oh yeah. Jenny with five. Ooh, five. James with three. Two of the kings. And myself with eight. Fuck off, Tom. And the missus with 14. <laughs> yep. Fuck off, missed. Alright, so that's all of the movies I'm seeing at the film festival. We'll have a wrap-up when I come back. We'll probably do a separate... We'll figure it out. We'll probably do a separate thing with just, like, the wrap-up. That uh-huh. way we can have an actual blog thing. Got it. So, moving into the Janet section of our podcast, I watched two weeks ago now, we're just going to pretend I was here last week. Last week, I watched <laughs> Eurotrip. What a weird last week, it was weird. Yeah. Uh, and classes. Tom came over to my house and we watched it together because he had the unrated version on Voodoo. Once again, not sponsored, but please hit us up if you want to sponsor this. Right, right. So we watched Euro Trip. It was funny, but it's one of those things where if the main character wasn't an idiot and knew anything about the person he was talking to online, <laughs> the whole thing wouldn't have happened. Also, there's some plot holes. Like, just make a different friggin' email address and email her. But then you wouldn't have a movie. It's exactly. It's just. It would have gone to the spam. She had never gotten it. It's. The. Yeah, that's kind of how early two thousands comedies were. Didn't yeah. think too hard about the setup. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah, so. too early two thousands AOL. I'm pretty sure you were still paying for your subscriptions. So anyway, when I told my <laughs> husband I was watching this movie, he said, "You know, that's a stoner movie." <laughs> and after watching it, yeah. I can see why he said that. I disagree to a certain extent, but... It's it's definitely like that dumb kind of humor. It was funny, but at times it was dumb. My definite, my favorite scene was the one where they're in Amsterdam. And the club. The club. Because okay. the one kid decides, hey... I'm gonna go to this club, advertise on this flyer, <laughs> and he, he goes to sex Cooper. club. Club laundry sex. And has a time. It wasn't a good time, but it was a time. Hans Gruber, turn out the fucking cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the 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 face he makes when he sees the safe word. Oh. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. not a word. And she just looks at him like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a depiction. It, it's meant to be satirical. It's not actually meant to be in any way you know, accurate. Oh yeah, yeah. It is a fun, dumb romp, but mm. that's about it. Yeah. Welcome to two thousands teen comedies. <laughs> Welcome to the best of the trip movies. Yep. Mm. There's there are there more. Oh yeah, road trip. Road mm. trip, Euro trip. Then there's a couple others, yeah. The trip. The no, trip, yeah. actually, that trip is amazing. Okay. Uh, not different. Movie. Yeah. Completely different movie. Anyways. I also think the whole Vatican scene is pretty funny. Yeah. 
Ah, yes. I The other thing is, this is a comedy, and therefore it was also predictable. And I called, like, every moment of the scene when they were in the Vatican. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they... They don't. They don't do subtlety. No, subtlety is not your ultra. No, so but sometimes that's okay. Was it funny? Yeah. Was it my favorite comedy? No. But we watched it. We did watch it. We did. And so this week, I've had a lot of things going on in the background of my life. One of the things being my car is like officially dead, so I'm very sad. Just the transit shop. Yeah, just the transmission, but that's kind of like the most important part of the car. So, I'm having a sad time. It is sad boy hours. So, I told the boys to give me a sad movie because I feel like I need to have a nice good cry now. So, boys, what you got for me? Who wants to go first? You're going last. <laughs> I'm going last. You're giving us, you've given us nothing but pain. Go for it, sir. Pretty much. Mine is uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Which I I know, I know it's about, and I've been putting off watching it because I know it's going to be sad, and I love Ghibli films. And Miyazaki, oh, it, it yeah. hits some of those bad points. So another thing about Grave of the Fireflies is I went to a convention where they had a Studio Ghibli panel, and I learned that Grave of the Fireflies which was originally shown as a double feature with My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, please tell Dang. me Totoro was second. Yeah. Palette cleanser. Yeah, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That had to have happened. Like dead children? Well, here's the thing about a weird bear thing. Happy times. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that needs to have Totoro as the, as the cleanser. Yes. You couldn't, you couldn't yes. end with Fireflies. So, I know what it's about. Sounds like... A great crime movie, but I'm gonna give the other guys a chance. Yeah. See if they can figure. Because that's the only one I can think of, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Not like you already have the DVD. <laughs> so my movie is Rain Over Me. I don't know anything about it besides the fact that it is Adam Sandler, which I've only seen comedic Adam Sandler, such as Mr. Deeds, Little Nicky. The, the was a football one. Longest oh, yard. Oh, uh, water boy. Water, water boy. Longest yard was also a football one. Yeah. So I forget about that one though. All the ones I've seen Adam Sandler in have been funny movies, and I know this is one of his more serious roles, but I don't know anything about it. Okay, so we're starring Adam Sandler, Don Cheadle, Jada Pinkman Smith, uh, Liv Tyler, and Donald Sutherland. Um, a man who lost his family in the September 11 attack Oof. on New York City, runs into his old college roommate. Rekindling the friendship is the one thing that appears able to help the man recover from his grief. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we were talking about this movie a little bit, or more specifically, something that Sandler's character does in this movie, and that's play the game Shadow of the Colossus. Mm-hmm. suddenly the theme kind of so- makes sense why it lines up pretty well. Mm. Eh? Okay. Alright, Devin, what do you All got right. for me? Mine is Mary and Max. Mar- that sound- <laughs> that just reminds me of Max and Ruby, the freaking rabbit show for children. No. Not a- no. no. Mm. no. Let's, let's, no. let's go with a no. Okay. I don't know what Mary and Max okay. is a sister taking care of her brother. Not exactly. No. So, first off, 
Marion Max is a claymation stop motion animated movie. Ooh, I don't know how to feel about that, but alright. Okay. Uh, by the people who made a couple of other films. Now, Mary Max's claymation tale of pen pals, Mary and Max, spanning 20 years in two continents. Mary is a lonely eight-year-old in the suburbs of Melbourne, struggling with questions that no one can answer. She writes to Max, an obese 44-year-old Jewish man with Asperger's syndrome living in New York. Over time, the two form a bond that explores the profound and often dark themes of friendship, difference, trust, fear, and life's many surprises. That's the description on the back of the box. It starts relatively happy. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like it's going to be instant sadness. And then it gets to a point where it is nonstop, like, either, hey, I feel somewhat good, or I feel terrible. What is that rated? PG-PG-13? It's surprising how dark you can go with PG. I am going to guess it's PG, but uh, I'm seeing G. I don't think that's No, 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 let me see it. Let me see it. I've got the DVD here in front of me. Yeah. It says it's G for general. Wow. There's no way. What? Not rated according to IMDb. It says 2009. Yep, not rated according to IMDb. That's interesting. Also, I'm not going to lie to you, this claymation looks terrible. It looks, like, scary. It looks ass. I'm I'm not a huge claymation person. Even okay. with, like, Tim Burton's works, it's really hard for me to get into it. Like, Wallace and Gromit, also really hard to watch. The Chicken Run probably chicken scarred, me, scarred me for life. Chicken Run was great. Should that be a children's movie? Okay, I'll agree there. Yeah. So... I won't disagree. I think also because it's already been on my list, I'm going to go with James' suggestion and just buckle down and watch Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, and by the way, to anyone listening, uh, Grave of the Fireflies is my... is what No, it was my second Miyazaki film, but it's only the second of two that I've actually seen. Yeah. The first one was thankfully Kiki's. Oh, yeah, Kiki. Why don't you read the synopsis of Gary the Fireflies? Just yeah, you know what? That's a yeah. good point. Yeah. Uh, uh, what I've got right here in front of me, a devastating meditation on the human cost of war. This animated tale follows Saita, a teenager charged with the care of his younger sister, uh, Setsuko, after an American firebombing during World War II separates the two children from their parents. Their tale of survival is as heartbreaking as it is true to life. The siblings rely completely on each other and struggle against all odds to stay together and stay alive. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, I know it's going to be really sad. Roger Ebert gave it a four out of four. Oh, man. Little surprise there. Whatever else I think about it being an absolutely heart clenching movie, it is worth a lot of praise. Yes, for sure. It's just not one that you lightly watch. You don't pop that in and say, hey, let's have this on the background. No. Yeah, no. No. Yeah. So I I will find the time to watch that this week. And... Well, you don't have to look for it. No, no. I still have my DVD. I do still have your DVD set. You're just never getting it back at this point. No problem. But, yeah, I will watch that. I will have the good cry, and I will come back... Next week slash two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks from now, yeah. and talk about it. All right. Uh, so anyway, that was the uh, Gen Ed for this week. 
the movies coming out this week are, or the movie coming out this week is Hobbs and Shaw. Best, okay, best the best Yep. I most likely won't see this until the middle of August. Because uh, you'll be kind of drained from. After I come back from the film festival, anything that doesn't have a really good story, it is, even if it has amazing production design and action, it, it is just, it will be boring. See, I feel like because it's The Rock and Jason Statham. And Idris Elba. And Idris Elba, like all badass people. I feel like if it was anything other than the freaking Fast and the Furious franchise, it'd be amazing. It would be amazing, but Fast and Furious needs needs to die like the main actor. The last anyway. The last few movies have been really fun. They are dumb as hell. <laughs> They're so stupid. They are so stupid, but they are ridiculously fun. Vroom, vroom, that's it. That's the movie. Mm. Take a take a drink every time uh, Vin Diesel says family. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'll die in the first half hour, you madman. Uh, yeah, I tried it, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm out of a beer, and yeah. All right, then, what else? Uh, next week, we have Dora and the Lost City of Gold. <laughs> looks fun. Why? We're not the demographic, but looks fun. Very uh, The Kitchen, uh, about the three women that are trying to take over the mob of Hell's Kitchen. I know it does have that the chick cool. from Handmaid's Tale, which is interesting because I've only seen her in Handmaid's Elizabeth Tale. Elizabeth Moss? Yeah. 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 So that should be an interesting role for her. Yeah. That actually looks pretty good. It's based on a comic, a DC Vertigo comic. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I'm curious to see it. I, I'm curious, like after uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy? Yeah. I'm curious to see her in more serious roles. Like uh, Rain Over Me, I want to see Adam Sandler do more serious roles. Right. Uh, and then scary stories to tell in the dark. I want to see that. Which I don't know what to think about this movie. Like it looks like a bunch of vignettes tied together. But it is. I won't lie. This is the first time hearing of it. But it. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. It's based on a book, isn't it? It's based on the book ter- scary stories to tell in the dark. Like the the uh, one that you read to your children and scare them before they go to bed, that kind of thing. I either have that, or I'm thinking of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Are You uh, Afraid of the Dark was a Nickelodeon TV show. I know, but I'm either thinking of that, or I'm thinking of that book, because I know I had a book of actual scary stories. It's just like which creepy, creepy as crap. Creepy white with like this black and red clown type thing in the front. You know what? Was one about like a hanging tree that yes. I might have I might have had that book done. Yeah, that there's multiple ones in that series, but this is based on a bunch of the stories in the book that if you read from the book, the stories start coming true. Wasn't that also? Oh god! Wasn't, didn't it also have a story of, of of a girl who had spiders laid in her yes. cheeks? I did ew, have this ew, book. Ew, I did I... have this book. That is in this movie. Nope. That storyline of the spiders is mm. in this movie. Nope. I had that book. Oh my god! I remember that clown. Oh, this was written by Guillermo del Toro, not directed by him. But, wow. No, I remember that book. Oh my god. So yeah, that, Dora, and The Kitchen come out next week. Uh, We'll be off, or we'll have something special next week. We'll see. Other than that, do we have any final things before we sign off for the night with this really long episode? Go watch movies. That will do. Yep. If you haven't already, like us on our Facebook page, 
In the Can Podcast. Yep, ITC Movie Podcast. That's what you gotta look for, at ITC Movie Podcast. Night, folks. Bye, y'all. <laughs>